Welcome to episode 100 of Tangentially Speaking. Can't believe I made it this far. Can't believe we made it this far. Thank you for all of you who've been with this podcast from the beginning. Uh, Special shout out to Shore Design T-Shirts, my first sponsor. Um, They, Bennett in Chiang Mai, jumped on the bandwagon when it wasn't even a bandwagon. Uh, He sponsors, obviously, as you know, he sponsors Duncan Trussell's podcast. And so when I guess Duncan told him I was starting a podcast, uh, Bennett uh, signed on from the beginning, uh, supplying T-shirts, refusing to let me pay for them for quite a while, uh, far longer than any prudent businessman should have. And uh, he really helped out a lot. And uh, everybody loves the T-shirts. So it's a win-win all around. I really am very grateful to Bennett and uh, Shore Design T-shirts. If you're ever in Chiang Mai, go check them out. I've never met the guy in person, but several podcast listeners have, and they all report uh, that he's a great guy and they had a lot of fun. And um, I don't mean to set Bennett up for a tour guiding business, but if you're in Chiang Mai, <laughs> drop him a line anyway. Um, thanks for listening to this podcast. It's I don't want to go on too much about this, but it's fucking amazing to sit here at my desk alone as I am right now watching people walk by on the Portland street outside the window and I'm talking into a microphone and people in Mongolia are listening to this at some point. One of the cool things about this new hosting service that I switched over to is that they've got a lot of... um, uh, sort of things you can look at in terms of who's listening to the podcast. And it's all based on the IP address. So I, I don't know how old you people are. I, I don't have any sort of demographic information about how many of you are men and women and ages and all that. You know, I make some assumptions based upon emails that I get and tweets I see and things like that. But um, one thing that I do have exact information about is how many downloads there are in various countries in the world. And I was looking at it last night. It's it's incredible. There are like you know there are people in Namibia who listen to this podcast, and Mongolia, and uh, you know Suriname, and and you know I just go around on the map and you hover over different countries and it pops up how many downloads there have been. And um, yeah, it 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 blows my mind. It's, you know, people in uh, Botswana and <laughs> Papua New Guinea. You know, I assume these are probably American or European um, p- travelers or, or people working in, in NGOs or something like that. Um, but it's, uh, it's incredibly gratifying to know that this unedited, raw podcast feed is going out and people are listening to it all over the world, literally all over the world. Although I was very disappointed to see nobody in North Korea listens to the podcast. So if you have any friends in North Korea, you know, turn them on to it. Tweet that shit. (laughs) I also want to take this opportunity to thank uh, Carsey Blanton. She is wonderful. As as you'll hear, go back to the archives and listen to the two episodes I uh, recorded with her. By the way, speaking of archives, this new hosting service, the archives got put behind a paywall and um, 
I've decided I'm, I'm liberating the archive. So if you have an RSS feed and you've seen like all these episodes showing up in your RSS feed, I'm sorry. As soon as I liberate them, they go into the RSS feed. Um, but I'm going back in and, you know, w- without overwhelming people, I'm, I'm liberating three or four a day so that they'll all be free. So I believe both of Carsey's episodes are already um, liberated. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll be sure to check right away. But check her out. Her music is fantastic. Uh, I've spoken at length about how how amazing she is as a person and as an artist. Um, but anyway, thank you so much, Carsey, for Smoke Alarm. Uh, you know, I was playing it at the beginning and at the end of every episode for <laughs> over a year and a half. And um, I decided to, to open up the beginning and switch things around. And so for now, I'm playing uh, something by Basin and Range at basinandrangeband.com. You can check them out. Um, you know, I'll probably switch that up after a while as well. Just it's nice to I like the wire how every year they had a different version of the same song. I, I really like that. Um, but anyway, it's good to, you know, change things up occasionally. But Smoke Alarm remains at the end of every episode. And it remains a song that I cannot get out of my head. It's both a brilliant song and a very heartfelt song and a very brave song about facing death, dancing into the grave, Um, which I guess is as much the theme of this podcast as anything. I don't even know that it has a theme, but if there's a theme, that's probably it. Uh, Enjoy this life. And then when the party's over, fuck it, go home with a smile on your face. Anyway, this is episode 100. And uh, I mentioned in episode 99 in the introduction that uh, I'd been speaking with my lovely wife, Casilda Jetta, and I convinced her to sit down for a very special interview for this episode, I wanted to do something unusual, and um, I've been very protective of our relationship. As you can imagine, when a husband and a wife co-author a book that challenges the naturalness of sexual monogamy, uh, people have a lot of questions, a lot of personal questions. And we decided from the very beginning that we weren't going to answer personal questions publicly because the book Sex at Dawn is not a book of advocacy. It's not suggesting that anyone should, um, you know, become swingers or, uh, you know, have an orgy or, uh, it's not suggesting that anyone should do anything. It's simply a book about what we believe the evidence has to say about the sex lives of our ancestors and the sort of the way that we have been, the way that our species has evolved in terms of reproduction, in terms of sexuality, actually, I should say, because human sexuality is not primarily about reproduction. For most animals, it is. Most animals only have sex when the female is ovulating. It's all business. Uh, The male inserts his penis, he ejaculates, and that's the end of it. Human sexuality is very unusual among mammals. We have sex close to a thousand times for every time a, a child is conceived. That's very inefficient, right? 
those of you who've read the book or who've seen my TED Talk or any of the other stuff, you've heard me say this kind of stuff a million times, so I won't go through it all again. But human sexuality is not about reproduction primarily. Reproduction is an occasional byproduct of human sexual behavior. Human sexual behavior is primarily about creating bonds, creating intimacy, establishing trust, that sort of thing. So if you haven't read Sex at Dawn, that's what it's about. It's not about what anyone should do in response to that. And so we decided we aren't going to talk about our sex life, uh, A, because any relationship that's lasted as long as ours has, which is 15 years at this point, uh, is not a relationship. It's a collection of relationships. It's sequential relationships. Our relationship today is very unlike what it was 14 years ago or 10 years ago or eight years ago or even three years ago. And so to start answering those questions um, presumes that you've got something that doesn't change. I remember the first person who asked uh, if Casilda and I had an open relationship was Dan Savage, who coincidentally I had lunch with yesterday. Um, and that was on uh, when the book first was coming out, first came out. My first interview was with Dan Savage by phone uh, for his podcast. And he uh, he said, so you guys have an open relationship or what? And I said, uh, our Relationship is informed by our research, which was the answer, the pre-packaged answer that we had come up with. <laughs> and he cracked up laughing, and he said, that's, that's great. He said, that's going to be my answer from now on. When people ask me if Terry and I have a, an open relationship, I'm going to say, our relationship is informed by Chris and Casilda's research. <laughs> So anyway, that's the answer I've given to, you know, hundreds of journalists since then. And only one, I have to say, uh, wouldn't accept that answer. Most of them were like, okay, fine, I get it. You know, you don't want to talk about it in a personal way. That's fine. Uh, But one guy from the Boston Globe wouldn't take it. And he kept pushing and pushing. And he he was like, well, come on, you wrote this book uh, criticizing monogamy and you you can't just, uh, you know, get out of that question. You have to answer that question. And finally, I said to him, look, first of all, we're not criticizing monogamy. We're saying it's difficult for our species because of the nature of, you know, all the things we talk about in the book. And I said, look, if I had written a book about prostate cancer, would that give you the right to stick your finger up my ass? dead silence. The guy didn't laugh. He <laughs> he did not find that amusing. That was the end of that interview. I don't think it was a positive interview. I don't remember reading it, but I'm sure he probably didn't have nice things to say. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about here? So I've been very protective of Casilda uh, for other reasons beyond the fact that she's a private person. She's a psychiatrist, um, and we didn't want the world nosing into our relationship just because we'd written a book together. Um, and you'll, as you'll hear in this interview, there are other reasons. Um, she speaks seven languages. Uh, she's a brilliant person. She's you know, you'll hear all this stuff. I don't want to start bragging about my wife here. 
Um, but sometimes she um, says things that are the opposite of what she means. <laughs> and I know we all do that. Uh, but she does it in a sort of um, impulsive way that um, she thinks, and, and I think she's right, uh, relates back to her childhood when she was forced to use her right hand despite the fact that she's naturally left-handed. And it created a sort of panic in her on a, on a deep level that can make her say things like, you know, in the middle of winter, she'll say, oh, it's getting really hot. And what she means is it's getting really cold. Um, she'll say, you know, we should, um, <clears throat> you know, oh, it's not a good time to buy that. The prices just went down and she means up. So in an interview context where the journalist doesn't know her, for her to say the opposite of what she means can be very confusing and dangerous. You know, she might say, oh, we hate Dan Savage when she means we love Dan Savage, you know. So um, that's another one of the reasons that she hasn't done any interviews, really, uh, very few, um, and never alone, always with me. So sometimes I fear that people think I'm some overbearing asshole husband who won't let her talk. And uh, in this interview, finally, you'll hear Casilda talk for a long time about her own experience and, and why she hasn't done interviews. And But more importantly, she'll talk about who she is and how she got to be that way. And I think you'll see why I love her and why I um, am not exaggerating when I say that I think she is the most unusual person um, that I've ever met. And I've met a lot of people over the years, a lot of very, very interesting people. But I've never met anyone who lives at the nexus of so many worlds as this woman does. Um, yeah, I'm, instead of telling you her story, I'll just shut the fuck up and let you listen to her tell her story. So welcome. Um, this is as close to me as you'll ever get, as anyone ever gets. And uh, I hope you enjoy this. Thanks. Lá nasceu boy um estrela Cata brilhar, lina mar, boi um areia, e cata moiar, espaiol desse mundo fora, só rachimar, terra pouco cheia. You comfortable, I got? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is your tea ready? Or are you no, I wait for later, a little bit later. A little later? Yeah. All right. All right, this is a very special. Did I say a special? Let's start again. (laughs) All right, now I'm nervous. This is a very special edition of Tangentially Speaking. I have a mystery guest today that some people have have said doesn't even exist. 
a woman so exotic and beautiful and multi-talented and amazing that she must be a figment of my imagination. She must be someone that I conspired with our publisher to invent because such a woman doesn't actually exist. Well, ladies and gentlemen, she does exist, and she's sitting right here. Her name is Casilda Jetta. She's my wife, my co-author, and my partner in crime for the last 15 years. She's wearing a Shore Design t-shirt, Sex at Dawn shirt, <laughs> which I just I noticed. every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to take a picture of you right now. I like taking pictures of guests while the podcast uh, is happening. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she's fixing her hair. There she is. Okay. With her uh, leopard skin Snuggie because it's freezing rain in Portland it's today, snow. ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, um... I guess I'm not going to do a big intro since I'm talking about all this now. But the thing is, uh, Casilda is, you know, I, I interview people on this podcast or I, I have conversations with people on this podcast who I find to be interesting people. And I trust that at least most of the audience will find them interesting as well. Uh, and Casilda is the most interesting person I, I know. But I haven't had her on the podcast because it's personal, because there's a line between business and pleasure or, or private and person or, per, or personal and public and all that. And I've tried to respect that line. But, uh, but it one you know, I, episode 100 was coming up and I wanted to do, to do something special and I couldn't think of anything more special than to have you on. So thank you for agreeing to do this. Hi. You already introduced me. Exactly like uh, I I'm, I just come from uh, the drawing class with right. Phil. Uh -huh. uh, and he always say to draw uh, to draw with emotions. Right. right? Not rational. Rationally. And you just describe me <laughs> in an emotional way. <laughs> More than I am, so thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cassie's taking a, a drawing class, an art class, which yeah. is quite interesting. Oh, You're enjoying I love it. it. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to talk about like our personal stuff too much, but um, I, just to introduce you to people, uh, Cassie speaks seven languages. English. You learned English when you were uh, in, in a school, high school. In high school. Yeah. Okay, so you started learning English as a teenager. Not high school before. So grade seven, school. Seven of grade. Yeah, grade school. Grade yeah. school. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm so um, it's yeah, as I said, it's one of seven languages you speak. Your mind is a mess of languages. She'll be talking about something and she'll come to a word she doesn't know in English and it'll just come out in French or in Spanish or in Catalan or in Portuguese or you never know. Italian, you know, in her mind, all the languages sort of mix together into one big language somehow. And um, so if I if I interrupt you to translate, that's why. I just want people oh, to know, you. you know, why. That would uh, help me, actually. I'm nervous. 
Well, don't be nervous because we can edit this. You oh, know, okay. We can do whatever we want. So I hope worry. not. But yeah, if we have to edit. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you say something completely okay. incomprehensible, we can edit it. Definitely. Out. <laughs> <laughs> or if I do, which happens I doubt also. It. Um, anyway, so why don't I just, if you don't mind, I'll just give a quick summary of okay. why, why I find your life so interesting. Oh, definitely. Now, the mm-hmm. thing is, I've been encouraging Cassie to write a memoir of some sort because her life is unlike any other life I've ever heard about. And all lives are unique, but your life is especially unique if if there's such a thing as, you know, more unique. I mean, unique's already sort of a superlative, right? It's yeah. like, but your life is is very unique. It's, first of all, being born into a family that was... Now, your mother was raised in a Muslim family. Your father was raised in a Hindu family. They're both primarily ethnically Indian. There's some There's Persian, some Persian connection. Yes, and some mix uh, black when uh, they go, went to Africa. <laughs> well, we just found <laughs> that out recently. Yes. <laughs> so, all right, but, but let's stick with the official story for now. Okay. All right. So... Part of your ancestors came from what is now called Iran. Iran, yeah. That's the the Muslim part. Mm-hmm. And then another part came from India, India. particularly Goa, uh, Dama. Right. Yeah, but with the Gujarati influence. Right, yeah. which is on the west coast of India. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with this, Indian traders sort of have been all over East Africa because mm-hmm. the, the ships would go across from India to um, to the east coast of Africa. So there are Indian business people all over Ethiopia, Tanzania, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, South Africa. Yeah, Gandhi, Gandhi lived in South Africa. I don't remember if he was born in South Africa, but I know he lived there. He lived in... Um yeah, in Durban. In Durban, I think he was it actually was, born, born there, Durban, and then he went sure, to actually. he went to law school in England. England, yes. Yeah, so um, there's a long history of connection between India and that part of Africa. So you were born in Mozambique, in uh, when it was still a Portuguese colony. One of the Portuguese colonies were weird. I mean, they had Brazil. Yeah. They had a couple of them in Africa, Angola, Angola Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Bissau. right, Timor, which is way the fuck over yeah, in Indonesia, exactly. Hong Kong and Macau. Macau. Well, what? not Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Hong Kong was Macau, British, but Macau. Macau, which is near Hong Kong. Yes. Goa, this little enclave in India. Goa, the Mawindu, the three, the, the Mawindu, they are island right. in Goa. In Goa, which is, you know, if, if anyone's been to Goa, which is a beautiful part of India, it's the Portuguese influence is palpable, uh, and everyone's named Joao, and yeah. you know, like Joao <laughs> Soto, Francisco. and uh, yeah, and uh, and it's one of the few places in India where there's alcohol available mm. because of that, and people are Christian, yeah. strangely. Anyway, so it was a Portuguese colony. You were born in 1960, 1960. in this family that looks Indian, is half Muslim, half yeah. Hindu. Very strange. I mean, I don't know. And then in Africa, right? So then your family had a lot of money. They had a taxi business and they had a store, a chain of like general stores. And 
different buildings yeah. and properties and stuff. So quite. Yeah, uh, my my father's family had a, a store, a general store, who would sell everything in the Inyamban. Right, which and is north, north of the capital, yeah. Maputo. Yeah, even now, I, like in Portugal, if I mention the name Erexan Jeta, it's like, oh my God, you were the... Because they knew that cantina. Right, know, yeah. The, yeah, uh, general store general in English. Store, yeah. Yeah. I think canteen they also canteen, use. Canteen, yeah, I'm a cantina. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then you're 13 years old, and, and there's a war happening, yeah. the, the war the for war for independence, independence yeah. which is being which became very nasty because on the one side, South Africa is supporting um, and and of course Portugal is mm-hmm. fighting not to lose their colony. So you've got white people essentially yeah. who are fighting against black people who are trying to take their country mm-hmm. from the colonial mm-hmm. colonialists but then the black people are also being supported by Cuba and the Soviet oh, Union yes. so it fell into that whole proxy war thing that was mm-hmm. happening all over the world in those mm-hmm. days in Vietnam in Latin America all over the place yeah, anytime there was a war it turned out to be communism versus mm-hmm. capitalism they would get involved so it was a very nasty war I, the first time I ever heard the word Mozambique hmm. was because there was some, I think there was like a famine or something there. And Bob Dylan oh, yeah. sang a song hmm. about Mozambique. Hmm. Have you been to Mozambique? And yeah. it's such a beautiful name, <laughs> you know, Mozambique. And a beautiful country, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you're 13 years old. You're... Um, locked up in your house with all the shutters closed because of the bombs and the bullets flying around? Yeah, because it was a war between the Frelimo and Renamo. Right. And, uh, uh, well, and the, the there was a civil, the Portuguese uh, they, who lived there, the white people who lived there, they, they really wanted independence, but they wanted to to still uh, be controlled the government. So it was a fighting between those white people and uh, and Frelimo, the communist government, they uh, after they took over. Right, right. Oh, sorry, I turned down my mic too much. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so just I, I know I'm going on, and people are more interested in listening to you than to me. But I want to give them a mm-hmm. framework of yeah. of the totality of your life, it's so they sure. can see like what a crazy journey it's been, and then we'll go back and talk about different okay. parts of it. Right. Okay. So you're 13 years old. The war has been going on. You're hiding in your house. You're reading those comic books. For two books. months. For two months. You're hiding in your house. Can't leave the house because yeah. of all the crazy shit going on. And you're hoping like nobody's going to break down the door and yeah. come in the house, right? Yeah. And we could see on a, on a window during that night. This would be like fireworks. But it's like... There are rockets, rockets and bombs. bombs and, and so on. Luckily, my parents had a lot of canned food. Right. And rice and beans. So we could leave for those two months with the rice and meat, whatever it was there. And I would read the Asterix. Asterix and Obelix. And Obelix, right. because my 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 brother Bell had the whole collection of Asterix and Obelix. So, right. and that was that. Actually, it is in my memory. I had a lot of fun reading those comic books while uh, the war was happening. 
And I notice, I don't know if this is something that was always in you or if this is something that you developed because you were trying not to think about what was happening outside. But when you read, you really focus. Yeah. Yes, I think I was all, I was already like this. You were already like that. Yeah, it wasn't a defense mechanism no, to forget the war. No, yeah. because uh, I start to read uh, in a very young age and like read books that it wasn't for my age at all. Right. And uh, one I remember one episode that uh, my step stepfather at the time had to uh, turn off the general electricity from the the house. Because uh, I couldn't stop reading. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. So after a lot of warnings. Oh, why didn't he? Oh, because you you'd keep turning your light back <laughs> exactly, on? Exactly, and read it in bed. I love read books. So yeah. So that was a lesson. They didn't talk with me. Suddenly I saw that there was no more lights. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's this war going on. Then the communists win. Mm-hmm. They take over the country. The guy goes on the radio and he says, "Samora Michelle." Samora Michelle, who was like the Fidel Castro of uh, of Africa, very charismatic, very figure, charismatic, good looking, smart, and now his ex wife mm. was is the widow, widow of Nelson Mandela. Mandela, Gracia Michelle, right? Yes. Uh, so he takes over. He goes on the radio and he says. The country is now ours. If you want to leave, you have 24 hours oh, to leave. Oh, and everything is uh, belonged to... Everything belongs to, to the, the state. state. All the buildings, all, all the, business, the business, all the everything belongs to the state. If you want to leave, you have 24 hours to leave, and you can take 20 kilos. Your parents put you on an Maybe airplane. Maybe that became the law. Uh, we were joking, 2025. No, the law 2025. 2024. 2024. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So they put you on an airplane. You're 13 years old to Portugal. Yes. Had you ever been to Portugal no. before? You'd never no. been there. You'd never been to Europe. No. Nothing. It was so, February, beginning of February, freezing cold. So this was 1973. Three. Freezing cold, <laughs> you arrive in Portugal where you've never been before. By some, myself, alone. Some relative you've never met comes mm. to pick you up at the airport. Yes. I guess they called and said, yes. please pick her up. Hmm. And you go to live with them for a while. Uh, they support me. I would go and... Were uh, they cool? These, these they relatives? were fantastic. Yeah. I, yeah, they were very nice. And they must have felt... I mean, this poor little girl they who f- flies I by herself. It was weird because they were like, st- uh, they lived in a, in a very nice part of Lisbon, but they were like sort of a countryside sort of people uh-huh. uh, to see uh, a non-white person <laughs> arriving and suddenly bl- belong to their family. And who were they? They were cousins, uh, uh, Tino's cousins. My cousins of your stepfather. stepfather. Yeah. Wow. And he's Portuguese. He's Portuguese, right? And uh, they, and then I w- went to a sort of a residency. But all every weekends I would spend with them. They were my family. A residency, l- meaning like a boarding a house boarding for house students. For students, yeah, right. yeah, for a while before I, and then I moved to a, a, my uncle's house when he flew from Mozambique to there. And then I live with my bra- uh, my bra- mother's brothers. Uh, for a while, right before my parents uh, 
went there to live uh, before they bought the house there and we went to live there. right yeah. so from 13 until when 15 you're on your own yes. more or less yes. like moving from different relatives, relatives none of whom you knew no and a boarding house and you're you're in school um, oh yes! No. since the the first week, right? Because I arrived, the school they were like already on uh, classes. So right, the so you first just get thrown just, in. Yes. Were there a lot of refugees coming from Mozambique yeah, to Portugal? Not only uh, Port- Port- Mozambique, from Angola, from Cabo Verde, from Timor, because uh, the whole all over the world, the whole empire was collapsing. It's collapsing, right? And so all those people, they were called retornados. Yeah, right? uh, retornados, and, yeah. the returned. Yes, right. which then nobody was returning. And a lot of people, like, <laughs> suddenly the white country became a multiracial country. Right. right? And was so the there a lot of resentment of that? Yes. How bad? Yes, because... Uh, uh, the government had to put the retornados someplace. So suddenly the five-star, four-star hotels and, and so on, they were like uh, shut down and uh, just oh, really? uh, be uh, for residents refugees. for refugees. They literally destroy a lot of four, five-star hotels. So Imagine. I can uh, understand the res- resentment toward uh, those people. And actually... <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, but the Angolan people and so on, they were like, uh, most of the people were like low class. So, yes, I can understand. Right. And I'm proud to be Mozambican because uh, the Mozambican and the Cabo Verdean, they were like, uh, they were dignity and the work people. So I can understand (laughs) that. I mean, you can see this. Uh, you know, nothing against Angolan people. No. I'm sure there are a lot of wonderful exactly. Angolan people, but yeah, it's a it's there. They seem to be uh, rougher. Oh, they it's, are. It's a rougher country, yes. and you know, different history, yes, different. Yes. You know, there's a lot more British influence, mm. I think, in Mozambique. Yes, and, yes. oh, a lot of uh, well, like we, refinement and tea oh, time the five and all that. o'clock tea, and right. even the word, even now. We say bye bye. We say tata. Right. Tata is the way everyone, even the the black people around yeah. there, they still say tata, right? So there's a lot of, and they they speak quite well English. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, even the music in Mozambique yeah. seems sort of finer and happier. What what is it, Mozambique? Remember, there were, we read somewhere that it. The original meaning is like the land of smiling Musa, people. Musa Aumbik is a, is a, it comes from a Arabic uh, ne, uh, a, words. A, a words yeah. from a, a, a man probably would go there. Musa is a name, a, a, a man-made name. So Mozambique comes from Musa Aumbik. And what's Aumbik mean? So they translate Mozambique. In Portuguese, they put Mozambique. Musa Albik is a name. Uh, a name of a man. Of a man. Musa, oh. Musa is a name. Of right. It. Musa Albik. Albik, the Al, the Al Quran is, uh, right. is the old, of the of the right. big. Of, yeah, Musa Albik. So they. Oh, I thought there was. I thought it. The root was something about the land of happy people or no, smiling Inyamban, people or something. Inyamban, the the 
the place that my my, my father was born uh -huh. is Indian band. It, they call the, the 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 country of happy people because oh. when they arrived and they found the Indian band, everybody was happy. And right. actually, it's a country everybody is happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a pretty relaxed yeah, place. It is. It's known as the Brazil of Africa. Yeah, or Cuba of Africa. Yeah. And it's like uh, the only place we're speaking Portuguese, surrounded by the whole countries around. They speak uh, English, so right. it's it was quite interesting in that way. So nobody would speak Portuguese except us. Right. Yeah. And the Angolans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it, it's funny. It, you know, you think you look at a map of Africa, Angola looks close to Mozambique because they're both in the southern part there. But, but because of Africa, away. the way the interior of Africa is impossible well, to travel, yeah. it's very far away. Whereas Tanzania, just up the coast yeah. or down the coast, is yeah. much closer because you get in a boat and you go oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. But going through the center of Africa yeah. is a different and story. And Angola and Mozambique so different culturally yeah. Yeah. in so many aspects. Right. Yeah. So uh, okay, so you're in in Portugal where there's also a revolution happening, right? Yeah. There's riots in the streets and people getting shot and yeah. crazy Salazar shit was happening. Already, no, it was the, right. the time that Salazar was putting down was um, like uh, he was the dictator. Franco. He like was Franco. a, a Franco fascist and dictator. Salazar, they were uh, friends, right? Uh, so Salazar got, was, first. was he killed or? Was, uh, no, not killed, but uh, taken away. But, but de dethroned, dethroned or de yeah. whatever. There was a coup. It was a very big coup. <laughs> a military a coup. military coup. And uh, so crazy time in mm -hmm. Portugal also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are you getting regular letters from your parents at this point or phone calls? And do you know what's happening back in Mozambique? Yeah. yeah. I guess there's in the news yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And you're in school and you're studying. Hmm. And so just to keep with this quick summary, so then you go through school, you sort of grow up, and you decide to study medicine. Yes. But you always knew you wanted to study medicine. Oh, since I knew, since I knew, uh, since I have a sense that I'm a person, right. I knew that I wanted to be a, me a, me a doctor. Right. That, I don't know. Or someone who would treat or help or heal something or right. treat somebody. So you always doctor. saw yourself as yes, a healer. Yes, right. yes. So you enter medical school in Portugal. I applied for that, yes, uh -huh. two, two times because uh, we had to, there was a law that we have to we have, have this big uh, exam. For, right. And uh, the first time my my uh, marks would only cover to, to go to engineer. No, oh, you didn't score high enough to go no, to medical school. Ooh, right. because for to go to a medical school, there was the highest score. Right. So my score was medium at the time, not good for. So I, uh, I applied the next year. Is that when you studied to yes. be an air stewardess? Yes, yes. Right. So meanwhile, so. So you had a year a to year study to, study to try, try again. again. And, and I took a class for to be a hair stu stewardess. Stewardess. Or air, air steward, I guess they're called now. Yeah. I don't know. Right? And yeah. Yeah. And then I applied again. Right. So the second time I I, I could go there. You nailed I, it. I nailed it. Yeah. But I didn't stay for a long time because uh, at Christmas time at that year, 
uh, my parents, I, I went to, to spend uh, Christmas and New Year's Eve with my parents. Was that the first year in medical school? Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, I thought it was later. I thought no, you did several years in no, Portugal. No, it was the first year. <laughs> ah, so the first year. So you got into medical school in Portugal, Portugal, which was really hard. Very hard. And then you go at Christmas to Mozambique. Mozambique. And what happened? I didn't live. You just said, fuck Portugal, I yes. want to stay here. Yes, but really. I did. I wasn't prepared to stay, actually. Because like, you were there on vacation. Yes. Yeah. And my parents uh, went crazy because uh, they didn't want me in a communist country. And uh, But I was so unhappy in Portugal. Hey, but you'd work so hard to get into medical school in Portugal. Yes, but when I... Wouldn't it have been easier to just go back to Mozambique and go to medical school there from the beginning? That would have been easier, right? Probably, but uh, uh, but I was a very responsible person. I guess right. I would follow everything that my parents would say to do, right? Well, apparently not. They wanted you to go back to Portugal. No, not at that time. But so I stay. And actually, uh, I mean, uh, I had very good marks in Portugal, uh, but I was miserable. I remember the first that uh, when I was thirteen to go to the the high school and i didn't know anybody and like be the only uh i was black well, not black but not white person in the class right. remember the first day uh, of physicals who, uh, to arrive and sit in the, the last row so nobody would look at me nobody would talk with and you me. were the only non-white person exactly there? i was really? the only non-white person in my my school, because yeah. uh, uh, I was living in a part of Lisbon that was quite uh, upper class. Yeah, so mm. and nobody would uh, look at me. So uh, one day when I, after a, a physical test, I had the high score, but I didn't know that. But it was in interesting because the teacher kept uh, calling one by one to 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 give the paper, right, with the score. This is for what, physics? Physics, oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I would, and it was like very low score, so bad, almost like above, I don't know, in English, but uh, in Portuguese at the time, the score was like from uh, until 12, right. uh, uh, until tw uh, 20, 20. Uh -huh. 20. So be, uh, above, uh, Below, Below 10 is very bad. Right, so it's half. half yeah. yeah, so 10 and, and almost the, the scores were like uh, 10 or low or 11-ish, not a lot of very bad. And I was uh, keep listening to the, the teacher calling others and my name wouldn't come. So I was terrified. It's like if everybody has all this uh, score, I'm, I, I'm going to have the same. So when at last she said, well, I'm very surprised about that, but I have to say I'm very proud, proud mm -hmm. because, and they call Casilda, has 18, 18, so 18 is almost 20. Yeah. So I remember to be <laughs> the last row and saw the whole classes turn their head back <laughs> <laughs> to look at me, and I remember that time. The oh God! African. Exactly. Yeah. Oh God! For the first time, all these people never look at me, 
and they like look at they turned to look at me so I was like walking to receive my and so of course I was very proud to have that uh, mark mm -hmm. so after that day I start to be the popular guy uh, 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 <laughs> girl girl <laughs> so I was inviting to belong to the basketball and oh. the handyball and do this and do that really? so oh. yeah so well, that's good yes after that uh, I I nailed it because yes I'm, I I was well to be honest I was already a uh, uh, a very good student, right? Right. So after that, so I felt that uh, at school at least I could be relaxed and I nailed it. And I was the best of the best of philosophy. Ooh, it was my, I love philosophy. And I had the best score, the 20. And mm -hmm. they couldn't, and uh, and I started to have a professor uh, uh, protecting me. So uh, I started to feel comfortable with uh, in uh, in the school and with my studies but i was miserable outside of school and i didn't like portugal it's so different from africa so different yeah. from that vibrant africa so i did everything and you could see my my pictures along that time i wasn't very happy <laughs> yeah so when i went to uh, so i was 20 when i went to to spend uh, christmas and new year's with my with my parents so and I decided, I decided I don't. I'm not going to go. Not my, going back. Back. My parents were very angry because at that time I didn't go back. I f joined. Well, I'm not saying. So I stayed there. And the uh, war was still sort of going on, right? Sort of, but Frelimo was uh, uh, was in uh, on the government. Right. So I was. Uh, so I start to. So you were doing volunteer stuff, and mm. you joined uh, the. I mean, you you transferred to the medical school. Yes, there. I applied there was to that, the medical school. Was that school. difficult? No, no, because no. you were After already that, accepted already, in exactly. Europe. Yeah. So it was uh, very easy, actually. Right. And I do didn't. I do not regret because uh, there, <laughs> I had uh, more cadavers, more people, more yes. everything to train. And yeah. we were very, we started uh, the first year of medicine, we were 60 students. The second year, we were uh, 19. Yeah, there's because normally a pretty big drop-off, but that's extreme. Extreme. Yeah. And 19 students for the whole, and uh, the end was like uh, uh, 19, 18, so it was a small class, yeah. and we had a lot of uh, material, let's say. Well, you were desperately on. needed, right? Oh, I mean, definitely. They, they didn't have enough doctors. No. They, didn't, they had people and like dying all over the place. And like in second years of my med medical school, we had every week pathology, which uh, a cadaver, with the autopsy of a cadaver, which uh, we had to identify the the cause of death and it's like every week that's a pla that's a luxury every week a new cadaver oh yes new several cadavers wow and we like uh, we would form groups of four or five people each one with, with their own cadaver and like dissecting is this 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 a guy? um dissecting dissecting the cadaver and uh, see what was the cause of the death 
Do you imagine in the second uh, year of uh, med, second year of your med med school? Yeah, I think that's a luxury. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen anywhere else. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're, so you're sitting around in a class of 150 students looking at a video and fighting to be with yeah. a cadaver. There is like yeah. we have we had more than well. I I didn't. For sure, I do not regret that. And did you? Because uh, jumping ahead a little bit, hmm. um, years later, you did go back to Europe yes. and you did your medical specialization in yes. a very prestigious uh, hospital, hospital in Lisbon and all that. So, looking back at it now, with you know hmm. this experience of both, do you ever feel like? I mean, I know you're. I the went material. back to recognize my medicine uh, license. Right, your medical license. License for right. a year. So I went so back. So you've seen both systems. Yes. So do you ever feel like the quality of the teaching wasn't as good in Africa? No, no, no. It was as good as, uh, as in, por in Portugal because uh, luckily, since it was in that those transition years, a lot of uh, Portuguese uh, professors they stay in Mozambique, oh. and they and they were um, they were uh, uh, it, it was a a, co a law coordination so yeah. they would uh, be there, but uh, it was a contract a contract between governments. Right. So right, like were, an assistance uh, agreement or something. Yes, yeah. and all the program uh, all the program. Uh, It was based in Portuguese, um, the colonial Portuguese uh, right. material. So it was uh, the best. So I think the, I think I was very lucky because it was the best of the best with the Portuguese professors still there. And uh, years later, I found out they they were they were different. They were like the Cubans and the Italians and. The, People would come from the other other countries with contracts to teach, but on that period that I was there was like at the very beginning. So still the Portuguese professor and mm. so on. So it couldn't be better. Also, uh, it, it's probably correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that there were a lot of people who elected to stay and and work in Mozambique because they wanted to help, because yes. they believed that it, there was a lot of injustice during the yes. colonial period yes. and that they supported, even if they weren't like uh, um, ideologically communist, they certainly yes. supported the idea that, hey, this is an African country. These people have a right to their country. They shouldn't Definitely. be treated like second-class citizens Definitely. in their own country. And even though I'm white... yes. I believe in this, and I want to oh, help. Oh, you nailed you're, it. You, well, you, you're your ex-husband, right? Yes, I mean, my ex-husband's father he, was a professor. Right. And he stayed. He was one of the uh, one of a few of uh, who stayed until right. and as he died. Philip Gagnon's father. father, and uh, yeah. others, but. Uh, a lot of them they stay for a while and they went to Portugal after uh, 10 years because they felt unwelcome and yes, endangered and, yes but uh, a few of them they still stay and Manuel's father right. he, he died there but yes yeah. yes you know it's that's so okay so we're sort of jumping all over the place here but so you're well we might as well just uh, stay with this so so you're back in in Portugal you finish medical school there Yes, I uh, recognize. I mean, back in um, in Mozambique. Sorry, uh, you're back in Mozambique. You finish medical school. Yes, and 
you immediately start working there as a doctor. Yes. Uh, uh, after finish uh, medical school there, yes, I, they um, I, they put us uh, working there. You got a job right away. Yes. And so you were working, they gave you like a zone. Yes. Was it in, in him? In Marrequin. Him? Oh, Marrequin, Marrequin, right. Marrequin, like a... F- 50 kilometers or and not a, but it's like a, a countryside right still uh, outside, the, outside of Mozambique still with the the Renamo the the guerrilla war there right. around and there was right because the war was sort of officially over but, but not no, actually no it was the guerrilla it war went on for years, years and years because South Africa was supporting, supporting them. and there were tra- and also I and mean, we <laughs> we should also mention that Mozambique had training camps for the African National Congress who were going in and blowing shit up in South Africa and agitating against apartheid. So that whole South Africa Mm. apartheid thing Mm. was also happening in Mozambique. So you're a doctor. You're a young doctor. How old were you when you finished medical Uh, school? Well, 26. 26. Or 25, 26. So you're in your mid-20s. You're a fucking kid. And you're going in a, you have a pickup truck? Yes. For two, uh, at that time, I, when I finished and our, uh, Joanna was born, I, for the year that Joanna was born, uh, they let me stay uh, in a sort of a centro de salud. Uh, a health a, clinic. A health clinic. And I stayed there for a couple of like six months or so because I was breastfeeding, still breastfeeding Joanne and so on. So, and then uh, after that, I I, uh, so I started to work in that village. It was a village of 50,000 inhabitants. And I was Not a village, a, a zone. A zone, a zone. Right, that would be a big village. Oh, but it was 50, a village. Yeah, 50,000. It was a small village, but yeah, around was people. There were was villages. There were villages, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A village with 50,000 people would be a city. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Marrequin was 50,000. Uh, the, the, the zone of the province. Right. Which I, I had to control. So you're you're essentially the, the only, only doctor, doctor there. Yeah. treating 50,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spread out over this zone, yeah. living in little villages. Yeah. In, the, in the bush with uh, guerrilla warfare happening yes. at the time. Yes. And so how did you do that? You had the clinic, but then you drove around in a truck, right? Yes. Well, I had the, uh, I had the driver, too, with uh-huh. the jeep, no? Right. And uh, we were driving around the country. Did you have a nurse? Oh, I have, I have the whole staff. Because but, I mean, they came with you on these trips? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. One, one nurse would come, and sometimes I would go with the the vaccinate vaccinator to vaccines or uh, because it would i would set up there would be like campaigns campaigns or something. yeah right. because i would set up there were ho- uh, days that i would stay and uh, do the clinical issues or assist her because uh, the clinic that i had i had a, a small place that i could have five uh, five uh, inpatients so you had like five beds five, five beds for uh, male five beds for female uh-huh. and the part i would have another house that i could uh, for maternity for the liver right deliver babies deliver babies who could afford the sort of a 20ish uh, women there so i had uh, a staff so i had nurses to to sleep uh, there mm-hmm. during, during at night i have uh, Staff would come and uh, 
people stuff with uh, with the vaccine the with the vaccines and and uh, people would go for the epidemies you know for what epidemies uh, cholera if uh, epidemic ep- epidemic so, uh-huh. sorry if uh, something would happen so we would go uh, so you were prepared control. to control e- epidemics so to have, isolate people and, yes right and cholera was a big you never issue. saw Ebola did you no, no 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 but cholera cholera was a big issue and malaria I malaria, guess is a big yes. issue down there cholera malaria and the, and the, um, uh, hepatic abscess would do amoeba uh, yeah um, uh, liver, liver liver problems pal- due liver to liver uh, abscess due to right, amoeba amoebas right. so, and uh, yes and so, sexual transmitted disorders uh, a lot. Right, because this is when? Early 80s. This yes. is mid-80s, which when is when AIDS, AIDS was really starting. starting. Yeah, and you're in the epicenter of AIDS. Yes. South yes. Africa. So, okay, so th- this is what, you know, I've known you 15 years, uh, and we've talked about stuff a lot. I still can't imagine what it's like to be 25 years old and... Just like uh, here you go. Here, here's easy. your clinic. Deliver babies. It uh, wasn't amputate easy. limbs. It wasn't easy. I'll bet it's not because, easy. Because first of all, I I I didn't appear like a, a grown up person. Right. You're twenty. You're, you're a kid. And besides, and you're I not had, African. And not a kid. I had people with my age who'd look uh, older looked than older. me. Yeah, you I would I would look seventeen. Uh, yes. I always look younger as you know, yeah. younger than I my age. So at that point it's like I look very young. Right. So the the African woman around they wouldn't respect me at all. Right. And I remember many times. Uh, and you're, and you're to not black and you're not white. No. If you were white, they they'd would respect even you. respect more. Right. Because, well, yeah. white people know things yeah, we don't. Exactly. But you're and Indian. Beside, what what and the, the hell is that? Indian people is not, uh, well, it's like, the, I'm sorry to say, the Jewish of Africa. It's like they have a lot of money. The right. Money Indian people Indian are seen as business people. Business people. And right. there, I, I was there like. A, this kid, no, yeah. with the parents of kids and all this uh, authority, and uh, they would, they didn't respect me at all. What? I would remember many times uh, to say to the woman, okay, get in dress, go, and I would have to have a, do a gynecology exam. People would say, no, I'm not going to open my legs to this kid. Right. So things like that. So... I had to impose through my knowledge or uh, and uh, get uh, and try to work with them, which I don't uh, regret at all because yeah. all that experience made me actually study more sure and prove that I can do stuff right for and uh, and uh, and be and beside that a lot of uh, Firings with uh, some nurses. I, uh, well, remember. that's what I was going to ask you if you had problems with the nurses I to had, get them to respect you. Yeah, and one nurse was so disrespectful, so disrespectful that uh, I've never uh, complained about anybody or so, but I had to raise a disciplinary commissaire. Uh, yeah, to make a disciplinary report. Report to one. Because uh, after uh, after, uh, this is a man or a woman? A woman, but uh, when when I did the disciplinary report and uh, I start to get really serious with her, 
she step back and ask and uh, ask for pardon or mm. so i she apologized she apologized so i took back the the report because i didn't want to and then to was do she that. cool after that after that she was cool she really? was uh, yeah she mm. was one of uh, because she knew a lot of things actually so that's why i was trying to avoid even to get in a fight with her but uh, if uh, she couldn't respect me and so but after that, she was one of the, the 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 nurses that would help me to do the. Um, well, I was the only one there, and the, I couldn't see the whole patients. Come, so, right? so what if someone came to you, and and you knew what they needed, but you didn't know how to do it? Yeah, but take let me explain this. So I was okay. the only one there, couldn't see all patients, right? So you couldn't see because there were just too many. Yes, right. And one one doctor, so. Uh, I I decided to put to to every uh, in the morning every day, I I I put schedules schemas like schemes like if uh, a try try to right. teach uh, the my ner- the nurses like if uh, um, uh, a patient comes with fever with this with this you do this uh, if right. the fever do not uh, do this if this I would go so would be like plans for right. them it's like they would be my first right um, right. triage triage right. and then uh, so and he was very helpful with that uh, nurse that was uh, my problem the she. nurse she sorry right. sorry yeah. she she helped me a lot at that time yeah so we did all that and sorry what you asked me well like how because i'm imagining you there all alone mm. okay you've gone you've done medical school mm. but you're young and there you can't learn everything in medical school oh, no. right mm-hmm. I, and you haven't done specialization yet no. right you've done yeah. rounds right you did yeah. like you know uh, then, and but I, and I was lucky we that uh, that uh, that whole class Philippe Gagnon and I we were very lucky because we we had uh, uh, the opportunity to participate in surgery in uh, gynecologists uh, right. so before i went to so you had a very practical hands-on oh, yes. education uh, before i right. went to there i i could do curatage and abortions right by like easily so i was <laughs> uh, when i it, which helped me a lot because in the countryside people are very poor and uh, a lot of uh, complications in pregnancy. I remember a woman to come with a dead fetus uh, of seven months, but dead inside. I could see rot, and I remember to put uh, gums and like put my hands all and clean with my hands because if it's dead fetus there, you don't want to put any any metal to because oh, if you perforate, exactly. you kill if the you woman because there's the so woman. much infectious. Yeah. But also, it's dangerous putting your well, hand in there, right? But I had the gloves, right? At so you're time. So, so you're pulling like a pulling dead fetus out of a woman with my hand and all the manipulations. So thanks God, we had a lot of practice. But did you like grab medicine. the skull yes, and pull yes, the skull? Yes, and at that time, it's like everything oh coming God. apart because it was oh rotten, God. right? Oh. Well, but that's life. But uh, all those kind of things. And is this woman anesthetized or she's awake? Yeah. Well, sort of anesthetized. Not a lot, but uh, local anesthesia. You know, to to and, open the... And you could get your finger in her cervix? 
inside of the uterus. You can go through. You have to go through the yeah, cervix, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And at that time, actually, when the the everything is dead, it's it's more it's distended, yeah. yeah. So and you have to be careful uh. with that. So all the experience that I had. Uh, in surgical arena and right. uh, gynecologist and also it helped me and uh, orthopedics right. and so all that helped me to um, to be there i think uh, to be honest i think uh, uh, the um, the medical school in uh, in africa at that time it was fantastic i couldn't yeah. have more more knowledge i couldn't yeah, no, fortune. it's, I mean, I remember speaking with our, our friend Santi Suso mm -hmm. in Barcelona, who was the chief of orthopedic surgery in the hospital, and it was when I was first getting to know him a little bit, and I talked to him about you, and and he knew you, and he said, Casilda is an amazing doctor, because she's from Africa, and he said, the reason, he said, you know what the best thing for my profession would be? The best thing for me as a doctor? A war. Yeah. I need a war. Yes. And yes. because there's no war, these students don't get practice. Yes. It's all book learning. Yes. And people come from Africa. They learn down there. Yes. She had a war. She yes. had all the stuff. Yes. But still, I mean, what I, what I was getting at earlier is I'm imagining you out there by yourself, 25, 26, 27 years old. And, you know, in a hospital, you get a case and you consult with your colleagues. Mm. You, you know, you can talk to other people who've had cases like mm. this before or, yeah. or they're, you know, they're more interested in this yeah. area. They're more, they know more about this particular yeah. thing. You can't consult no, with you anyone. You have to be a generalist. Yeah. Right. You've, there's no you, one no, for no, you no. to turn no. to. No. If you don't feel well, no. you know, you don't go to work yeah. that day, people are going to die. Definitely. You have to be a generalist. And uh, what I did have is like if uh, I, I can uh, transfer my patients to the capital, to Maputo. So if something was too much, I can too complicated, yes. you could just say, you I know. Can do that. So would you, would you call do, someone? No, no, no. It, it's only. <laughs> There's not a lot of resource at the time. <laughs> it's on the ambulance and me. So I would take it. To, so you'd put them in the truck and, and drive them yes, to the city. Yes. Uh, normally what I would uh, do is the complicated cases, the, the cases that need a, a care in a big hospital, I would uh, take at the end of the day with me when I was going home. Because I, so I would take it. So that was my uh, consultation with my colleagues in the emergency room. And so what's uh, going on right. with this? And I, so the complication, I would do that. But other other things or things that I couldn't do or th there's no time f to go to the medical hospital, I would tell you to do, do there. But the most scary day for me was the day that I arrived. And it was, uh, they just, uh, they attacked the village at night the the guerrillas they want they literally went to to every houses burned the houses and uh, with the manchetes uh ripped the, the head people yeah. well, they tried to decapitate decapitated everyone. the people because it was like a sort of a nasty word they wanted to make a point yeah and i remember arriving at that morning and it was surreal i can't describe that feeling of see the houses completely covered in dark ashes like because they were burned yeah. and uh, dead bodies 
uh, or um, uh, on a street, street and so on. And other who didn't die for the manchetes with the half of their neck uh, cut, but African people have a lot of resilience and resistance, like walking like robots tore the, the, the hospital, to the clinic that I have to receive treatment. Like zombies. Like zombies. That was surreal. I can't describe that. It was like, so it like, and you get, the, but luckily I had a lot, uh, my, my team, the, the, the nurses, they were so beautiful, so hard workers, and like get to work and do work, 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 and try to help everyone. And uh, and that was the, 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 the time that I found the, the curandero, that uh, the woman was uh, bleeding, was like uh, half of uh, the leg was uh, cutting and the femur was bleeding. And I thought, well, this they was... They cut the femoral artery. Yes, and we were trying to control. I didn't have blood. I couldn't do any transfusion. Okay, get to, to, to ambulance. Let's do this and go 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 to Maputo. High, high that speed. That was that day. That was that day. So how did you take her to Maputo? You had to deal with all these other people. Yes, but I, I had to... I, if some cases, you know that you well, you have to to select to. Yeah. And I had very good nurses to take care of the others, so I would go with them and come back again, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like go, 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 but the woman just die when while we were stepping to the emergency room. So that. That was traumatic too because you tried to save. She was a plenty, like a, a healthy person. And she was a healer. And like she you. was a healer. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, uh, well, what can I say? <laughs> Did you go to that village because you knew it had been attacked, or were you surprised when you got there? When? That when, day? Yeah. No, it was surprise. Every day. I I sleep at, uh, in a in a in a city, and every morning. Oh, it was the village of your clinic. Yes. It, oh, it wasn't a village out no, that you went no, in no, the no, countryside. No, that's why they attacked it's, they, your. It was like a, to make a point of some the God. It's like they went. That was the. They, uh, I mean, they were. Um, attacking the side, the suburbs, and so yeah. I never came to the village. Right. But that day, they went to the village to make a point. It was like, a sur- that was surreal. Yeah. Did you, do you remember the first person who died in your no. clinic or your first patient no. who died? No. No, because after, when you, I, I saw a lot of dead people or people dying in front of me since I was in a, in a med school. And when I was uh, at a rotation at a pediatric, ped, pedi, pedi, pediatrics. pediatrics, so you see a lot of uh, 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 babies dying because uh, infant, infantile mortality mm-hmm. is high in, in, uh, in Africa, right? Right, right? So you see a lot of... so. After a while, it becomes a routine. So no, it doesn't bother me. Didn't it's, uh, I mean? I'm not saying that I'm. A, I did not uh, 
but you it's it was an everyday issue. It's not it's, remarkable. No, after, yeah. no, no. Well, that's why I asked about the first one. You know, like I imagine you sort of lose track, but maybe the first one no, would have struck you. No, what the? Do you remember the first baby you delivered? No. no how I many? Don't, do you have any idea how many babies no, you've delivered? No, I no. No, <laughs> no. What I do remember is like traumatic facts, because uh, when you deliver the first baby, after a while it is routine. You, it's like you do what the, what, uh, the first day, the next day you do it again, you do right. it again, you do it. And so you, you remember cases because they're unusual, or, or uh, cases that uh, bothers you because you wanted to save them because yeah. you see the point. And so yeah, but. Yeah. But life and death after being with so, such a, a mostra, such a, a sample, a sample, it's like it's a routine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know it is to you, but I think for most of the people listening to this, it's impossible to imagine that being routine. That's as far from routine as anything could possibly be. You I know? understand. Yeah. I'm not, it seems cold, but it's not. And you can't mix emotions. Uh, if you want to treat someone, if someone is bleeding, if someone has a peritonite, if someone has a, is like a, on your hands and you want to save, you have to, to be really focused right. on what you're doing. Right. Because you can't even hurt someone. So do you think, all right, there, there's sort of a... a typical belief that men are less emotional than women and it's easier for men to hide their emotions and so on do you think that's true do you think that men are better doctors or no 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 so that women are just as good at setting aside so. their emotions as men are when they need I, to i i think so right no. so you and you've done a lot of surgery as well during yes. those years uh, especially Re when i was a student helping in a, with this arena surgery because yes we had right that chance right yeah and when you were in your clinic and someone came and did you do surgery i know you did hepatic small surgery. stuff small surgery small surgery, surgery. appendicitis uh, or would you send no, them to the city i would send it to the city but small surgery or, or uh incisions and so on i would clean and i would uh, sew up sew wounds, and yeah. wounds and so on yeah yeah, yeah. I, bullet I, did you ever remove bullets yeah if it's superficial yes yes but if uh, invade a lot of um, the only case that I treat there, uh, quite risky was one uh, one woman who appeared with a peritonitis, mm. and peritonitis is always uh, a case that you have to go to uh, the surgery because you have to open and clean the peritoneum, right? Peritonitis. Explain to people what peritonitis the, is. The, the the cover the tissue covers the whole intestinal and so on it's like a right it's a like the thin, sac that holds the yes, intestines yes, and the, the infection thin, gets inside there inside there and you have to open and clean everything right. and uh, uh, that period i couldn't uh, send her there and uh, she was already in um, inpatient there so with the nurses and so on we decided to treat her locally so that was so we we did and she was so so bad that it was worth into like she was gonna die yeah. anyway. Yeah, so right. we were st we started to to put infusions uh, through the um, the abdominal with the clean to cleaning with the infusion cleaning cleaning and uh, 
endovenous uh, infusion of what of, of uh, saline no saline and uh, dex uh, a medical preparation yes okay. with iodine right. with the um, with the uh, antibiotics uh, and things. right so, okay right um, I'm so sorry to I don't remember all the names it now. It doesn't matter. And it, I'm so, so nervous. But yeah, no, with the infusions of uh, yeah. yeah, the to clean right the abdomen every day, like uh, and the uh, endovenous antibiotics. Right. right. And I thought she's not going to survive. She survived. Right. She survived. Well, um, you know, isn't Africa a at least that part of Africa is a case of something that you and I talk about with prehistory as well. Yeah. Like people are really healthy. Oh yes. Because the ones who aren't healthy don't oh, survive childhood. Uh, yes, they don't survive childhood. So it's yeah. not that the African way of life makes you healthy. Yeah. It's that if you're not so healthy, the natural selection by the yeah, beginning. Yeah, exactly. Which At is the beginning. Good. It, well, uh, well, I don't know. It I'm, depends. I, don't, I mean, uh, yes, there are different ways different of looking ways, at it. Yeah, but, but at least I think it's very healthy because you ended up with uh, healthy people at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You end up with a lot of dead babies, though. Well, but the dead babies, uh, do you want to have a healthy child all over the, your life and suffer taking care of complications and not be happy? Or do you want to be like the Africans, they dance and be happy until nine? With the ones they survive, I remember seeing men, yeah. 90 years old, driving their bicycles, uh, cultivating their own garden. Yeah. They are autonomous, they have dignity, and they like I remember like dancing with them, or not not me, but the, see the, the dancing and like active people. Yeah. That's a pleasure. Well, it's almost you know it's this eternal question of quality versus quantity. Yes, right? I want quality. I don't want quantity. Right. No. Uh, well, at least I would choose quality, not quantity. So. No. I mean, I don't want to get into all this ethical issue about uh, babies and so on, but let's be honest, if a baby there was dying, uh, the infantile mortality was higher, and it's higher anyway because of all the diseases, the parasites, the malaria, and so on. Yeah. So that makes a natural selection per se, right? Yeah. So after that, the babies will survive. They, were, they are healthy babies and mm. healthy minds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's a, a complicated question. Yeah. It's it's important. Um, okay, so and so I had a lot of fun, to be honest, uh, <coughs> making a, 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 a taking a treat to the abscess, the hepatic abscess. Yeah, because those are that sort of became your your oh, specialty. Yes, yes. And there are I, a lot of them because of the peanuts, right? There's yeah, the, the, the fungus no, amoeba, and the peanuts. Amoeba. The peanuts oh. is uh, the uh, hepatic uh, cancer. cancer. Oh, there yeah. was like there was a number one death uh, was because of hepatic cancer because of peanuts. Sauce. Yeah, there's a there's a fungus that grows Aspergillus. in peanuts that is very, very toxic, toxic to the liver. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Okay, so let's let's move on because we we've been talking for an hour and we've oh, only really? we've only covered. Okay, <laughs> See, this is why you need to write this book, baby. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. There's so much material, and it's so foreign to most people. Like they can't yeah. imagine. Even doctors, even American doctors, can't imagine the yeah. stuff that you've done. You know, like yeah. they join Doctors Without Borders so but they can go for yeah. six weeks to some 
country yeah. and actually deal with stuff like this. Because here, I mean, you were doing things. You were you were doing things that a, a doctor in Europe or America will no, never get no. a chance Even to do it. Even in Portugal, when I went there to recognize my my degree to to, to validate, validate yeah. validate because I wanted to validate because I knew I wanted to continue my studies and in Mozambique I would continue to any specialization, right? right? So I went there to validate, and that year when I arrived, yes, oh. People the same the same preconceived ideas that I had in in school, right? It's like yeah, okay. So, so they're looking down, down on you, this little he's this like African. African yeah. So I had to go every day to the nurse because when you every morning is the routine. You go to nurse and you visit the patients, you do stuff, and then after that hour of visiting all the patients in patient, you go and do whatever is the schedule for the day, right? Now this is what your residency. No, it's uh, when I went to Portugal to validate my course. Oh, I thought you just had to do some exam. No, I had to a year. Oh, you had a year in, in the, the hospital. hospital in Portugal to oh. validate my. Oh, right. That's a lot of study. That's why when I say I don't want to recognize my anymore because I'm tired of study. Right? Yeah. I mean, you've got a medical degree in three countries. Yes. yes. Mozambique, Portugal, Spain. And Spain. Right. Yes. So. For that year, I had to go a year and study. So when I arrived, it's like, okay, looking down. So after I got accustomed to what was going on in the nursery and we have to do, and I figured out that I could do, and um, and they saw that I would do practical and faster than them. Than them. Right. So... And since I was, you know me, I go and I arrived at, on the time and so on. So I would arrive in the morning, see what is going on with all the patients, what I have to, what to do. So I would doing, do, do, doing. When they arrived, like, oh, you did all that? <gasps> so yeah. uh, that was a, quite a surprise for them. <laughs> it's like... Uh, the, but I had uh, lucky to... I was lucky to have all those practice in Mozambique. So well, I not not only the, I mean, even if you had come right out of medical school in Mozambique, oh, yeah, you would have been have, ahead of exactly. them. But you were yeah. you had the medical school plus seven yes, years yes. of experience. Yes. They just finished medical school yes. in Portugal, yes. and they're very you know proud of themselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you walk in, and it's yes. like, come on, man, yes. this is old stuff for yeah. you. You've yes. been through this a yes. lot. Wow. So, okay. So you, you go back to Portugal. You've got your daughter. Um, you were separated from your husband. Yes, at the time. Did that we won't get into this, but it's worth noting that your husband's mother and father they were medical doctors. are doctors in Mozambique, yes. and you really love them. And, oh, yes. and there was, you know. Yes. Anyway. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, yes. they're, they were colleagues. Yeah, they and, were, yeah, they were, well. And they still are. They I mean, still his, are. His the only medical daughter in the family was Manuel, was my ex husband. So I remember. Uh, and uh, there was a custom. Uh, we um, every night we had dinner with them, mm. and they were like uh, very like old. You you met them, but mm-hmm. it's like uh, for them it was a tradition at night with the candles and mm. the the maids would come and serve it because they were yeah. like those up, upper class, right? right. But uh, we were disgusting. Cases and, uh, and poor Manel. Yes, and poor Manel was the only one there. Like <laughs> and he's he an engineer. Yeah, he's a, he yeah. couldn't participate. So yeah. yes, that was awkward. Like the three of us, like talking uh, dirty things. It's like 
widely yeah. eating. But uh, yeah, I can tell people who've <laughs> never lived with a doctor that uh, <laughs> they'll talk about anything at any time, and <laughs> never occurs to them that talking about the green shit oozing out of somebody's asshole while you're eating pea soup doesn't yeah. isn't appropriate. But. Yeah. <laughs> well luckily i've traveled a lot so i'm used to it as well but uh okay so so you go back to portugal you spend a year to get your medical yes. degree recognized in portugal then, then you decide you're going to do psychiatry why psychiatry because at that point, you could have done anything. You oh, could have no, done. I was going to do internal, internal medicine, right? Because I love it. It was the, the, since after all that petition and general petition, internal medicine would be the, the specialization. But uh, when the, the AIDS, uh, all the aid, um, aid um, education about a, HIV in, in Africa went there, mm-hmm. it's like I thought, wait a minute. You can't apply the same because, like, the ads in in the street have only one partner use condoms. Like, are you kidding? Right. No, we like, haven't even talked about your research for the World Health Organization. Yeah, that was at the time when I thought, "Are you kidding me?" It's like we are in Africa. You can't ask for African people to have only one partner right. because of AIDS. It's that's not going to function. Yeah. So I went to... Enforced uh, monogamy isn't going to work. It's not going to work. So I went to... And at the time, since I was uh, I was interested in uh, um, epidemiology and the investigation, and I want to do research. So I went to um, take a, a course in uh, on uh, uh, OMS... Or, uh, health all the World Health, health organization. organization. They would provide uh, uh, research courses. Right. This is back in in Africa. In Africa, and it was like a, there was a three month courses. That was I met Falcato, my professor in the in that uh, investigation. So I took the course, and then they found out that yes, um, and then I explained my my perspective. Like it can't work with, right. with HIV. We have to design a health education plan that it's more accurate for Africa. Right, it's culturally, culturally uh, designed. Yes, yeah, with yeah. Uh, according to the, their attitude, their belief system, they they the way they behave right. we can't apply the european uh, version to africa like this yeah they they agreed with me so they support me so i i designed a, a, a research a study and since i was in that uh, village what else i i had already people that i could research on so sure. so i took advantage being in my little hospital there and i start to to investigate that, and that was uh, that was a uh, trick me the the interest of uh, uh, doing the psychiatry because uh, talking with them about their belief system, their attitudes, uh, the way they behave oh, toward really? toward their comportamental sexual, the, the sexual, sexual behavior, behavior. Uh-huh. they would uh, have toward everything toward. Uh, or sex while with, with disease or not with the sexual transmitted disease or not so talking with them and see what they were see how their mind functions and see how a person who have uh, lots of occasional partners 
the mind works completely different to a, of a, a man who had a, a, a multiple wives. No, there's uh -huh. different, uh, and I, I, I put uh, the sketch, right? right? There's different, like uh, multiple occasional partners, uh, uh, multiple wives, uh, monogamy, which right. was, I don't think it was very rare, but like talking about that. So I decided hmm, I want to do psychiatry, not internal medicine. Uh, because of that World Health Organization study. study. And that's the same study where you inspected a thousand men's penises. Yes. You slut. <laughs> you. <laughs> so. Yes, I, I had to expect to see if they have gonorrhea, if they had the uh, chlamydia, uh -huh. if they have uh, HIV. So I would uh, inspect them. So my wife is the only woman I know who <laughs> who admits anyway to having. Uh, On my hands. Uh, oh, in your hands. <laughs> With gloves. <laughs> With gloves. <laughs> Black African penises. Uh -huh, a thousand of them. Yes. Right. Right. That's a lot of African <laughs> penis. Um, okay, so uh, and you didn't uh, you, you didn't think about becoming a urologist or something? No, with all that? psychiatry was fantastic. Are you kidding me? With all study, or I love I love brain. I love I think brain. What about is neurology? Did you consider that? Because uh, brain is more neurology, no, isn't it? No. no. Neurology is for me is like uh, be a mathematician because oh, neurology is very like uh, you can okay if the brain uh, this this circuit fails uh, this relates it's very very arithmetic mm, it's very me me that. mechanistic mechanistic right it's beautiful but right. um, but uh, I I love I I that I discovered that I. I already because I went to the residency in neurology, so no, and that uh, arithmetic, uh, like a so structured way of mm -hmm. thinking, I like that. I really appreciate. But I, when I discover the whole mind behind though that belief system, I thought psychiatry. Is it because psychiatry, at least the way you practice it, incorporates? Um, it has room for philosophy. Yes, it has room for multicultural. Yes, I love philosophy. Right, and yes. you're sort of a natural anthropologist. Yes, you're, you're, I love that. Yeah, and we talk about shamanism as as shaman as someone who moves between worlds, bringing knowledge from one world back to apply in the other world, and that's sort of your essence, right? Yes, I mean, you're yes. you're in this. African context, but you're Asian, yeah. and you're a woman, but you're a, in a man-dominated world, world profession. Yes, and I would you, actually act as a man in that village. Right, and right, because you're an authority figure, <laughs> yes. and you can't. I can't be soften. You have to yeah, be no. hard. Yeah. No, and the, and the beside in psychiatry with that kind of concept, I could mix thing. I could fusion thing. I could. Yeah. Right, it's, uh, it's open to... Yes, and I had uh, already the sample around me. Right. I, I could explore that. And, I, and besides, I started to see how the mind influences uh, another disorder. How can right. you... It's, it's not disconnected. At that point, everybody would think that uh, Sakai, the Sakai was the poor parent of uh, poor sibling of uh, medicine. And like... Uh, not quite 
respected. When I told yeah. my parents that I wanted to be Sakai, they were so sad. Yeah, you're right. Because it's, I mean, there are others that are lower. Yes. <laughs> Pneumologist, maybe. Yes. Or whatever. Uh, well, but lower, but not lower as Sakai was at the time. Sakai was the poorest yeah. of the poorest. No. Because, and, and because of what you're saying, because of the lack of mechanistic yes. explanations, yes. because psychiatry is as much an art as it is yes. a science yes. and and so it's very hard to measure things yes. and yes. also in those days there's still a lot of freudian mm. psychi psychoanalysis and yeah. things like that but i was lucky enough when i went to portugal and um, uh, uh, i uh, Falcato, the, the professor, professor and research he, he knew the 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 director of psychi the psychiatry uh, uh, the whole psychiatry in Portugal, what do you say? The the director of uh, the psychiatry uh, community? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like the, the head of the, head the psychiatric, of psychiatric community, community in Portugal. In Portugal. Right. So I went uh, to talk with and have an interview with him, basically to ask where should I uh, have, should I take my psychiatry residency? Because at that time, I, I wanted to have the best of psychiatry, right. right? And he was very helpful. He was like, look, this hospital has a psychiatry social issue. It's more direct to social issue. This uh, hospital is more toward Freudian analyst and so on. This is very biological and Germany approach, and you can really know about the brain and mind and so on. So... If I were you, I would go to this because you would get more knowledge. So that's why I went to the that uh, I applied to that uh, the biological with German in influence uh, psychiatry, right. where the hospital would uh, would Egger Munich statues. The one who did the lobotomy <laughs> is there. Okay, a little <laughs> aside here: the only Nobel Prize for medicine that's ever been won by a Portuguese yeah. was for the inventor yeah. of the frontal lobotomy. Yeah. We had very prestigious hospital. Julio Matos? Julio Matos. Right. The hospital Julio Matos. Very prestigious hospital. The hospital would... I learned a lot because they were not shy about how uh, and to give... Can uh, I brag a little? Sorry, Didn't yes. you get like the best score in the yeah. country oh, or the something? Oh, the best, the best, the best. Which to uh, to, to enter college. the residency yes, program. Yes, the right. first, yes. I was number right. one. Right. And uh, that nobody would... Uh, my At least my colleagues at the time, they were running with me the same... They couldn't. One actually, I don't know if you met. Uh, he went to uh, to a conference in Barcelona. I think uh, <coughs> he, he 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 cried because he, he thought that he was going to be number one, <laughs> and uh, where they <laughs> appeared, and uh, uh, yeah, nice. and one of the the the, the evaluated uh, when uh, after they. Met for talking about the scores and give the score. He came and t t told me like uh, near my ears, like congratulations, but you 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 didn't have nineteen point five because the twenty because that was more almost twenty valores, right? right. The twenties are for the profession. And went away. Or for the what? For the professor, for the professor, for the, for the professors. For the teachers. For the teachers. 
Oh, so no student could get 20 yeah, out of 20. So I, yeah, so, so you, you I got, got 19.4. 19.4. Uh, 19. Because uh, they were uh, scoring for 19.5. Because it was three days of, uh, of examination. The first day is um, the curriculum examination. You examine all the ah, okay. And uh, the whole score, so they... So that was quite uh, strange, too, yeah. having a professor call, walk by you, say, I'm sorry, you didn't get that because 20s yeah. for the... Well, that was but still, you strange. got the highest score possible. Yeah, oh, yes, I was uh, happy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, we are supposed to meet somebody for a drink here in well, a few minutes. Well, we can interrupt. And we yeah, can we'll interrupt and continue later. We c okay. We'll do a Joe Rogan-length podcast, okay? okay. Because okay. So this will be like my first three-hour podcast ever. Really? Yeah, because we're only, I mean, we're an hour and 20 minutes into it, and we haven't even really, I mean, there's no. a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Well. All right, so <laughs> will you, I feel like John Stewart, you know, asking you to stay, you know, you stick around and we'll do something and throw something up on the web, uh, all right? Okay. <laughs> all right, so we're going to okay. go and, uh, you know, meet our friends, actually a doctor, no, okay. we're going to meet okay. for a drink and we'll pick this up tomorrow, okay? Okay. All well, right. thank you.
גאות? Also in English, you can do woof, W-O-O-F, woof, 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 woof. But that's not that's for the wolf. Deeper. No, oh, wolf is with an L, but the, it's a deeper, like, woof, 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 but woof. the normal, ruff, ruff, ruff. Ah, woof, yeah. woof. Ah. And I, I remember in French, it's something different, too, something know. weird. No, yeah. I don't know in French. point that at you. Okay. Okay, so uh, I'm back with uh, Dr. Casilda Jetta. That song, I'm going to play your favorite song okay, between the thanks. two sections. That's called Down in Belgorod mm, by I the Paul it. Winter Group. But what is it that you love about that song? Because it's a mixture of uh, uh, European, European, European style or influence and uh, African influence. The drums, African, and then when the sax, the mix of the sax and the drum. Mm. And the voices, the, you, fa- the women voices. The chanting. The chantings is so... It's... Uh, It's out of this world, those, those women chanting, beautiful. Yeah. So it speaks to you because of its multiculturalism? Mm-hmm. And, and especially because mix both culture. African, African and, and European. African and European, I love like, it. Yeah, like you. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember the, from the first time you heard that song, that has oh, been your favorite song. Yes. And every time that song comes on, the <laughs> our iTunes mix... Cassie looks at me and says, that's my favorite song. <laughs> As if I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so last time we were talking, uh, one thing that we didn't talk about, I mentioned this morning, we didn't talk about the fact that you were, that you're left-handed. Yeah. Um, and that you were in one of these schools where they made you write with the your right The primary school at, when I was six years old. Yeah. And uh, was that a religious school? Was no, it? a normal school. Just a normal school. Yeah, public school because in in uh, Mozambique was the same system in Portugal, so everything was uh, public, subsidized by the government. Right. So. Um, and did they tie your hand behind your back or something? How no, did they do they it? They would uh, nap, slap. They slapped your hand. Yes. Yeah, well, they didn't want it because it's, uh, it's well. But did so? What do you think? You know, looking at this now, fifty years later, as a psychiatrist, what kind of effect do you think that has on a kid? I think there is a, a a big effect. 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 Yes, yeah, on me it was huge, and you know me, and I I mix up and down. Uh, Okay, Everything. so we're going to tell a secret here <clears throat> that people don't know. Every, you know, since Sex of Dawn came out, a lot of people uh, have been curious about why you don't do more media. 
Mm-hmm. And I tell half the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I say that part of your condition of being listed as co-author was that you didn't want to do any media because you're a private person and all that's and true. I am. It's yeah, true. it's true. Yeah. And and we did have that conversation and you did say I don't want to talk to media exactly. and, and, and so I'm not lying, but I I've never publicly explained this part. Hmm. Right? Which is as you were just saying probably as a result of being forced to use your right hand mm-hmm. when you were naturally left-handed. Yes, because I still uh, think uh, where the, which hand I write to yeah. think with right and with left, right? Right. So you, uh, our friend Stanley Krippner, yes. um, described y- your condition as cognitive dyslexia. And I think he's right about that. Right. Now, is that a... Did he just make up that phrase, or is that something no, that I exists? No, uh, is that in the DSM if, uh, or I something? I don't know if it exists uh, in a, on the DSM, but it's uh, it's very accurate yeah. to say that. Because, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's an accurate a, description. An accurate description. Right. And I'm a, I'm, I was dys- dyslexic, too. Dyslexic. Dyslexic, too. Yeah. I uh, used to uh, confuse B and D. Right. Yeah, yeah, typical. Um, So uh, just to explain to people what we're talking about, Casilda has a tendency sometimes, especially when you're nervous, to to flip concepts. So, um, you know, in the middle of winter, she might say, oh, it's really hot outside when she means you mean it's really cold or. You know, oh, the prices are going down. Everything's so expensive yes. when you mean yes. up. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, for me, over time and knowing you, I yeah. tend to listen to what you say in context, and I normally know what you mean. Although or so, my patients, too. Sometimes I beautiful. get completely confused. <laughs> right. Well, we'll get to your patients in a minute, but let's let's just be clear about what we're talking about. So, So in an interview... Cassie might say, oh, I hate Dan Savage. He helped us so much. Yes. <laughs> and the interviewer is going to be like, what the fuck was that? You know, or, and the problem is that sometimes you'll say things that aren't clearly, nobody's going to stop and think about it because it sounds like it makes sense in the context. And it does make sense in the context, but it, it's the opposite of what you meant to say. Oh, yes. Emotionally, don't you think uh, it's the opposite? I don't know. Well, no, I'm just saying if you're talking to someone who doesn't know you, let's say you're talking to some journalist from the New York Times and and he says, um, you know, what do you think about Steven Pinker? And you say, I love Steven Pinker. And then you go into the next thing. Well, actually, you kind of hate Steven. I mean, not hate him personally, but, you know, or you might say, oh, I completely agree with what Steven Pinker says about human sexuality. And you mean I completely disagree. And so it can end up being a fucking mess. Definitely. definitely. Because then the article comes out and it's like, well, that's the opposite of what I believe. (laughs) And I didn't say that. And then you check the transcripts and, well, you did say that, but it's not what you meant. And so it can turn into a mess. So. For those of you who are listening to this, uh, now you know something that I've never tried to explain publicly before because it's hard to explain and it's yeah. kind of private and, you know, you don't want to get into all these details. I don't time. know how I, I, I made my, my course, my medicine, medicine uh, licenciatura. How can you say that? I'm sorry. Your, your, got my, your medical degree. Yes, my medical degree and everything. Well, I know how. Because, and this is another interesting quirk of your personality, that you are 
very distinctly different people. Hmm. And your medical person, your student person, your the, the oh, part of you yes. that's like the serious professional is very different from the part of you that's the... The, the housewife. Well, you've never friends. been a housewife. Well, or not whatever. with me anyway. No, but... Uh, we never had a house. Yeah, not much of a housewife without a house. <laughs> Apartment wife, uh, sublet wife. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're very distinct aspects of your personality and the story yeah. i like to tell when i'm talking about this is the time that you and i were in assisi italy mm. together we were at a, a medical conference <laughs> that some pharmaceutical <laughs> company paid for us to go to and we were walking through this big plaza one day and uh it was like a typical italian scene there were kids <laughs> playing football and Guys going through in motorbikes and old mm -hmm. people. And we, we were eating ice cream, I remember. We had just gotten some gelato. <laughs> and some kid going through on a motorbike was going a little too fast. And a little kid, maybe six or seven mm -hmm. years old, ran in front of him. And he hit him in the head with the handlebar yeah. of the motorbike. And the little kid fell yeah. and I think was unconscious, right? Yes, it was. And we were just walking along with our ice creams and we saw this happen and this crowd gathered around and people were yelling and and it was like, uh-oh, you know, the guy on the motorbike was going to get yeah. lynched or something. And Casilda, without saying a word to me, threw her ice cream <laughs> down and just plowed into this crowd like some sort of superhero <laughs> parting the the crowd and you went directly to the little kid and made mm -hmm. sure he was okay and yeah. told people no don't worry the kid's okay yeah. and you you know saved the kid on the motorbike from who knows what sort of yeah bodily Italians, damage Italians. <laughs> riled up <laughs> italian mobs <laughs> and that was one of my first exposures to that sort of superhero mm, difference between no. Casilda on the clock and Casilda off the clock. But and I'm not a superhero. No, you're not a superhero. Yeah. But my point is that, you know, you said, I don't know mm. how I got through medical school. Yeah, I know how you got mm -hmm. through because when you're working, you're different. Yes, definitely. You're much more focused. Yes. Your brain slows down in a way. It not It's not slower, but it's deliberate and it's hmm. careful and it's directed. It's more focused, yes. Yeah, and when you're not working, you're, I mean, I don't mean this in an insulting <laughs> way, but you're not focused at all. You're no. all over the place. You start no. telling a story. I mean, this podcast is called Tangentially Speaking, but you are the most tangential speaker I've ever known in yes. my life. I like sideways. <laughs> you, you start, <laughs> it's sideways. not even a story that gets <laughs> no. tangential. It's a sentence. Yeah. You can be, you know, if I could ask you, like, oh, what time do you want to wake up in the morning? Oh. And you won't get to a number for no. an hour. No, I would... Uh play around and say okay i need uh, maybe half an hour okay yeah you tell a story minutes, exactly we, yes. it becomes a story yeah. is it gonna oh if, well if it's gonna rain tomorrow oh i do you remember when it was raining in 1974 <laughs> oh, oh that was during no. the war oh, my brother was in the war it's like what what i just want to know what time to set this fucking o'clock <laughs> All right. Well, an another thing that we talked before uh -huh. was about music and uh, music in Angola, Mozambique, and so uh, on. You wanted to correct the record. Oh, yeah. yes, because I definitely like more 
Cabo Verde and, and Angolan music. Right. Culturally, probably I would like Mozambique, but I I like uh, well they right. all we didn't mean beautiful to, to diss music. The, no. the music of the other Portuguese oh, colonies. No, yeah, Angolan no. music's oh, beautiful, very beautiful, and Cabo Verde is oh, some of amazing. my favorite. Yes, just that that instantly recognizable groove. Cut of Preto y Mi by Tito Paris. Back to the conversation. Hmm. It's almost like reggae, you know? Yes. Like the minute you hear reggae, you know it's reggae. Yeah. Cabo Verdean music, the minute I hear it, it's like, ah, uh, it's got to be that groove. But that groove is fado. Cabo Verde has a lot of fado's influence. I don't like mixed fado. With, I know, but that is the fado influence with the African. Yeah. Uh, it makes it very beautiful. Well, Cesare Evora, for example. Yeah. Well, once you get that African groove, yeah, yeah. then it's wonderful. Without yeah. the African groove, it's just morose and silly. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to fado lovers out there. Because it's like blues, you yes. know? Yeah. Blues without the groove... Yes, Who wants to I, listen to that? Just a bunch yeah. of sad people whining. Sometimes it's beautiful. But when you add that African <laughs> groove to it, it's great. You know, then it's it becomes artistic. And anyway, so musical taste aside. Mm. Um, okay, so you mentioned your patience earlier. I wanted to get into that a little bit because 
We talked about your education, your amazing experiences in Africa, coming back to Portugal, doing your residency, mm -hmm. deciding you were going to be a psychiatrist. Yeah. And for the education, the other part is it's true that in mathematicians, math mathematics, I wasn't very good. I have always very high marks in, uh, in other disciplines, and I would barely make m m math. Right. But uh, all my teachers, at the end of the day, they would mm, give me one or two points to make it because it would be silly. Because... Uh, I don't know if you have in Portugal in here, but in Portugal they have quadro de honra, like if you honor roll. Honor roll. Yeah. So I was always there, but the math it was. <laughs> it's <laughs> marginal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, me too. Math was never my no. my strong point. No. I always liked math as an idea and constant. It's beautiful. Yeah, right. Every time I would start, I would have really fun, and the the marks was good. But after the complication and new numbers and so yeah. on well yeah it was yeah gone. when it came down to doing the problem sets yeah. that that didn't work for me but mm -hmm. but as far as thinking about it galileo yeah. copernicus oh, yes. you know yes. thinking about the beauty of how the universe fits together well i mean that's the thing yeah. those people you know we call them scientists now yeah. they can they called themselves philosophers yeah you know, there was no distinction at that point yeah. between science and philosophy. Yeah. It was just high-level thinking, exactly, you know. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, but I wanted to get into this idea of you, you know, we talked earlier about you moving between the worlds of Africa and Europe and between the village where you were the doctor back home where you were a wife and a mother and a daughter and you know the mm -hmm. whole indian african european you know all these different worlds you move between now we're talking about psychiatry when you mm -hmm. finished your studies and started working as a psychiatrist you you found that the people you most enjoy working with were whom oh psychotics, psychotics. i love psychotics right so for people who don't know psychotics are what you would say they're the people standing on the street muttering to themselves no, they hear voices from another voice. so they they don't uh, they do not uh, fuse or they don't recognize this world is in together so they are outside of this world so kind right. of lost in between worlds right so they're i mean for people who aren't familiar with psychiatry or psychology they're not people who are depressed no they're not, they're not neurotic they're not neurotic these are people yeah. who have a, who have lost connection with what we call reality. Yes. And these are the people that most psychiatrists, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, most psychiatrists I don't like to work with. Right, with. because they're scary. Because deep down inside, I think most of us are afraid we're going to catch it. We know, I mean, even if you know, you know, psychosis, uh, schizophrenia is not... Probably, although now they're talking about there might be some viral connection. You I know. think there is, could be a viral connection because right. I remember when I was a residency, my, my professor was doing a study, a long, uh, progressively, a longitudinal, a longitudinal study, study yeah. seeing where the psychotics were uh, burn, burn, born in different uh, monsters, in the winter monsters and so on. So there were more psychoses and probably 
could be uh, related with the flu and the, right. all the virus. So I've also a, read there might be some connection with vitamin D deficiencies. There are connections be. with uh, toxoplasmosis, pox, yes. possibly. Yes. There are all sorts of Psychotic, things. Psychotic uh, uh, psychosis is very, it's a, it's a syndrome. There's no etiology for that. Right. Nobody and really yeah, knows. That's it the, seems paradigm, to be the paradigm of psychiatry. The paradigm. Paradigm, yeah. sorry, of psychiatry. So everybody, uh, the, nobody knows where it's caused, but we know the the signs and symptoms, right? right? And the, the brain inside, there's all the whole, the, whole the, the, well, the changes in the brain, I'm sorry, I forgot the names, but in talk, speaking in, in English. Right, yeah, because you studied medicine in, in Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the different lobes of the, the brain. Lobes and, and the, yeah. well, we can see there's a difference, but uh, that doesn't uh, doesn't explain schizophrenia or other psychosis. It's a description, not it's an a explanation. Descri- it's not an explanation. Right. So it's multifactorial. Right. And, yeah. Um, so these are the people that you feel most comfortable working with. Your oh, your, they're very authentic, to. very true. And people are afraid of them, so they can be aggressive. No, they're not. Right. It's very unusual for a psychotic to hurt to anyone, hurt anyone. Physically. Yes. Yeah. And no, if they and hurt, that, and that's not what we hear, right? We hear no. like somebody like they lost their mind and they killed everybody. Yeah. Well, they didn't lose their mind no. as a psychotic, no. probably. My first experience with the uh, a psychotic be aggressive with me was uh, my first year on um, uh, residency. The, the the patient was in a, a nursing room preparing to get uh, the injection because he was in a, on a crisis, completely um, um, in hallucination state. Right. And uh, I, well, I was young and. Uh, wanted to learn and I went right away and put my, myself in front of him right away. Like you, if you walk through a like dog a or a cat way, yeah. in like that way, right. they, so, but sure. it wasn't confrontation. It was, for, but he felt like a confrontation. The next thing that I heard, it was like slapping on my face. Literally, I saw stars. Really? Yeah, literally. It was like slapping on my face so hard. And when, uh, but one thing that I learned uh, is you should not ever be intimidated by a patient. Mm. So I didn't move from that place, looked at him and pointed my finger to his uh, face and say, you should never do that again to me. And he was completely with those eyes Beautiful, sweet eyes. It was uh, has actually has the blue eyes. I remember so completely naked. He so yeah. was naked. Look at me. It's like, oh, right. I didn't mean that. It's right. like he was. He didn't mean, and he he, he didn't definitely yeah. didn't. I could see like it wasn't for me. Right. So. Right. I, that that was my first experience. Well, wait a minute. They're not they're not uh, aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, they can be very afraid, of course. He did that because he was very afraid of being attacked. So, I don't mean this to insult anyone, but, you know, there's a a commonality in your life. You're really comfortable with little kids, 
animals, animals of all sorts. Oh yes, and crazy people. Yes, yes, I. You're not so comfortable with normal people. No, no, I actually the avoid more normal. social <laughs> contact, as you know. <laughs> no, the more normal I, the more the more normal, the, the less comfortable I, you are, and more I run away. So, more. so what does that mean? That you, what what do babies? Animals and psychotics have in common. Is it the the lack of authenticity? Pretense? The authenticity. I right. love that. I can see through them. I can see the transparency. Transparency. Right. I love that. Right. I, I mean, I can talk uh, weird with my patients. They always understand. If they don't, they ask me. Right. Uh, in a in mm-hmm. a authentic way. In a no judgmental. Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. Um, I love that. Do you think that's related in some ways to the fact that you grew up in these different worlds and you're not really part of any of them and nobody really gets you? It could be. I think so. And being, uh, I I have three more siblings now. Two brothers and one sister, but the gap uh, after my last uh, brother was eleven years. So, my brother and sister was like uh, un- uncles and aunties yeah. to me. I didn't have any. So yes, I grew up very lonely um, in that aspect, and uh, my maids took care of me. I always surrounded with books. I love reading books. Uh, yes, and. Uh, and my f- uh, and I I grew up uh, around Indian people, Muslim people, that culture which is so beautiful. And go to Indian weddings and Muslim weddings and African dramas and it's like it's a it's a multifaceted world, multicolored, very rich. And suddenly at five or six years old, okay, you go to school. A, an European school, Western school with white people. Okay, I was, I was. We we had the white people around us, but like faced only that. Okay, sitting on the desk and everything was interesting. I I learned a lot, but it was like different uh, worlds. Yeah. Yes, could be. I don't know, but uh, yes, I I changed for through. I had to adapt through different uh, different worlds, different uh, cultures, and uh, going to Portugal at 13 from a, a tropical country, hot, sunny, and everything is vibrant, and everything, and people feel music all over their body. We dance with the body. Go to Portugal, that uh, rigidness, that uh, coldness. It, well, I, I mean, I enjoy to be there in a way that I learned a lot uh, Formation-wise, it was good. I learned a lot, and I'm not regretting that period. But uh, it was uh, it was a big change, and in yeah. the, and the adult, uh, poverty and the adolescent puberty. puberty and the adolescent was like very confusing. Oh, Who am I? Uh, yeah. What should I do? And uh, yeah, what culture are you part of? What family are you yeah. part of? What what world? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I had a little bit of that just moving around as a kid in the U.S., but with you, it, it was so much more intense than that. And also being a girl, I think, makes you mm. vulnerable in yeah. ways that I wasn't vulnerable at all. Yeah. yeah. So 
So it all sort of fits in then that that's why you can relate to your psychotic patients yeah. because you understand what it's like yes. to be. In. And I developed a sort of, you know, my masculinity. I developed that to defend myself. Mm-hmm. Nobody hurt me. I do, I, I do what I want. I have to, I want to do. And I choose. So maybe that's why. It's at the very beginning, I put myself in a position, okay, I'm going to take care of myself. You right. So you became a, a psychiatrist because you're fascinated by the brain, you were saying hmm, earlier. I love brain. And, but you're not, uh, you're nothing like you, the sort of normal psychiatrist that a person's likely to meet at the hospital. No. Or even, you know, to look them up in the phone book or whatever, you know, you. So the normal psychiatrist, if I go to a psychiatrist and I say, I'm having trouble sleeping or I'm having sexual problems or, you know, blah, 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 whatever, they're going to they're going to prescribe pills. That's what psychiatrists do. 10, 15 minutes or half an hour, depending on the time they have. Yeah, they're going to prescribe you pills. And you're the opposite of that. Yes. You're like a shaman who happens yes. to have a medical degree. So what was that like? Because you worked, what, 15, 20 years yes. in psychiatry, yes. in mental hospitals, mm-hmm. in government-run hospitals, yes. and, you know. And they, they always, after all, they always saw that I was different from them. And uh, uh, maybe because of that, I started to have m- patients or more patients or particular patients they would look for me and not for others and they would tell loudly that so i'm gonna brag for a second uh, well no before that but i do i think maybe one one thing that uh, really when you the other day uh, when you asked me which was uh, my first experience with death or childhood. Right. I couldn't um, say it, but I can say that uh, my first um, patient as a psychiatry, that blew my mind for sure. And maybe Was this in residency? Yes, or yes, in residency, because when uh, after a while and then you're, they, they started to give you patients so, and you by, your, uh, yourself. by yourself. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my first patient was a psychotic woman with <laughs> a, del- a delusion that he hated. He hated uh, delusion. That she. She, sorry. Lucy, she that she hated um, black people. She was afraid of black people. <laughs> and they gave you the <laughs> they <patient>? gave me. <laughs> I don't think the the professor knew that that was oh, the, case. the case. No, was it was like randomly. Assigned. It's like <laughs> she hated it, and and here I was in the first first um, first meeting with her. Did she consider you to be black, or were you brown? I don't know. Oh. Because uh, we start talking, it was hard for me to start a, an interview as a, the first. I was very nervous. Oh, bad. Yeah, and you probably felt like a fraud, right? I, like definitely. someone pretending I to be a doctor. I felt so petite, so small, so <laughs> I, I, and then when I, uh, and we, I start to, to ask about what is she's coming for, blah, blah, and, and, the, and when you, she was telling me that, for a second, I didn't know what to do, definitely, because I I was black or colored for her. Right. What should I do? Well, and then I decided to continue the interview and do the all the 
I'm so nervous that I forget the the, um, the intake interview. Yeah, what is the name? There's no, a name. The, the the yeah, it's a <laughs> French name. I know what you mean. I, I don't know. Who cares? Oh, I'm very nervous. The pneumasis or something. Anamnesis. Anamnesis, yeah, right. Yes. Right. And it's like, well, and she continued to, uh, to answer, so I continue. Well, next day, the other day. Uh, so I saw, and, um, and I, I saw that uh, probably she didn't see color on me. <laughs> like, like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> yes, like Stephen Colbert. It's like, well, I'm going to continue with this. <laughs> She thinks I'm white. Yes. I'll be white then. Yes. Yeah. So alone. Yeah, I hate those black people <laughs> yes, too. Yes, me too. I hate <laughs> And she would describe with hate and fear her experience all over getting the bus and uh-huh. the play, public places they were where they and the way she would react and expel and the way she would clean to because she, well and I I started to uh, and I, I, that moment I started to understand that, wait a minute, it's not all about medication. There's another ways that you can treat a patient mm-hmm. besides or beside medication. So right. I start to have a really good connection with that patient. Don't ask me why and how, because at that period, yes, I was on a residency for behavior, cognitive behavior psychotherapy approach too. But at that point, I was very raw, right? So continue to do that. And she she get got, got better. She loved me. And at Christmas time, uh, uh, period, uh, Christmas period, she ge- gave me as a gift a big tablecloth made by her on hands with linen and crochet. I think I've seen that. You right? saw. That was with your first tw- patient. That was my first patient. Wow. And I still have, I'm going to give that to Joanna because it's beautiful. Very, it's very expensive. To, I, I bet today yeah. she made for me. Yeah. Well, that maybe was a point that, wait a minute, there's something more than medication. Oh, right? yeah. And this is something, as a psychologist, this is something that sort of disappointed me when I figured out that psychiatrists really have very little, if any, training in psychotherapy. Yes, it's true. You know, Especially in Spain. Yeah, in Spain it's in ridiculous. Portugal, we have right. the, at least you, uh, the options, and you can even uh, right. analytical or cognitive behavior or another process. Yeah. You, have, you choose and you have right. to do that. But, yeah, it's an option. Yes. Right, and I think in the U.S., depending on the program, I think it's generally an option as yeah. well. Yeah. So you, you're a psychiatrist. You're considered to be this you know, highly trained psychotherapist, no. but in fact... You haven't studied any psychotherapy no, at, all, at all, possibly. It's, it's all medicine. It's all medicine. It's all it's neurotransmitters yes. and mechanical this and that, yes. which has its value, of course, as I recognize that. But, but it says you know you're, you're talking to people about their dreams. You've never studied Carl Jung. You've never yeah. studied any dream analysis. Yeah. You've never yeah. studied any. You know, not, and I'm not even saying that that stuff is necessarily uh, completely accurate or, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, but the fact you is you, you haven't spent time even thinking yeah. about that stuff and necessarily. you need that. You need that. Right. That's why, well, a lot of psychiatrists, they, uh, well, there's psychologists working with psychiatrists right. for that. Right. Yeah. 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 
So uh, that was your first patient. Yes. And that's my first patient I can't forget because of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, I remember the first time I went to work with you. Oh, In Portugal. Hmm. You were working in a Catholic... Right, yeah. it was a Catholic. Yes. After I finished the residency, because most of the the psychiatry um, mental hospitals in Portugal they belong to to religions uh, like in Spain. Right, or they're the run Jewish by a religious is, order. Yes, Oregon yeah. or the Sagrada, the Sacred Core of uh, Sagrada Familia, the Sacred Heart, the heart of uh, Jesus, Jesus, and yeah. so on. So, yeah. so you were working for this with, Catholic with run. Nuns. So, like the nuns were the nurses, yes. and the yes. yeah, and and here you are, this the Muslim, this, which well, by the former way, Muslim. For, yeah, well, for for but uh, and you have to I be never, careful with this because some you know some hmm. people in the world think anyone who leaves the Muslim faith should be killed. So you know, well, I have many. Many, I'm, it's, um, I mean, I was born, I was in a family, was half Hindu and half Muslim. So I definitely have practiced in in both worlds. Right. Even now, and you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, even if I don't go to a church, but I have some, some practices. Uh, yeah, well, you have some roots, uh, roots foot and in different worlds, yeah. as we've established. And but that I was uh, on a border for the the Christmas, the Christian. Uh, <laughs> You're on the board of directors board of, directors. of a Christian church. Yes, <laughs> I know but it's very I, funny. Yes, I read uh, after when it was in Portugal. I read the Bible. I yeah. read everything. I yeah. was in between worlds, right? And speaking of worlds. Uh, well, when I met you, you lived in Portugal, mm-hmm. and we went out together for probably a year or something, mm-hmm. back and forth. I moved to Portugal to live yeah. with you, and then we decided we didn't really like Portugal, mm-hmm. either one of us, and your daughter decided she wanted to live in, in Africa, Africa with her dad. So then we were suddenly free to live wherever we want, and we moved to Spain. Okay. And, well, this is some of the bragging I wanted to do. You moved to Spain. I had already lived in Barcelona. We moved back to Barcelona together. And in three months, Casilda learned Spanish and Catalan, two languages, to the point where you could work in both of them, them. write medical reports, all that, in two new languages. Fucking mind-blowing. So... That's incredible. And and add that to four or five other languages you already spoke. So... Uh, the but hospital, I was, the hospital, the, 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 the Christian hospital, the first time I went with you to work, I remember it was bizarre. I it think it was, was the first bizarre. time I'd ever been in a mental hospital. Oh, really? And I remember. <laughs> locked. Well, that's the first thing I remember is all the, the locking doors, <laughs> the, doors. the double doors. Yes. It was like going into a vault yes. in a bank or yes. something. You know, the door has to lock behind you before they unlock the door mm-hmm. in front of you. And the the windows are all bulletproof glass, and there are bars over the other windows. Different kind of sections: the acute section, the subchronic, and the chronic patients, and all. That's bizarre. I just remember going <laughs> in with you and feeling like I had walked into one flew over the cuckoo's nest, <laughs> and there was a woman lying on her back, probably in her fifties. Yes. She was wearing a like a nightgown. Yes. And she had her legs up in the air, like she was doing the crab upside down. Like a baby. Like a baby with her 50-year-old pussy all out yeah, and like, yes. and a big smile on her, crazy smile on her crazy face. Yeah. And I remember I was terrified. 
And I remember you started laughing the way you're laughing right now. Why not? (laughs) It never occurred to me that you would laugh at your patients. Well, I use humor. Well, but see, that's that's what I mean. I would. There was such a moment. I'll never forget that moment. All right, because I was terrified. I was shocked. I was grossed out. I was, you know, I knew I couldn't leave. I was trapped. And I hear you laughing, and I look at her, and she starts laughing. Because she looks at you, you're laughing, she's laughing, and I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, then uh, get out of there. <laughs> yes, and she got out. And put it well, and I've seen you do this many times, where you laugh with patience. Yes, I do laugh, uh, and that's my one of my tools. Right. Yeah, it's one of your tools, and I didn't. It took me a while to learn that, mm-hmm. and it, it's a very effective tool because I see in their eyes that they feel recognized, yeah. that they know there's nothing malicious, that or, you're transparent to or them as well. Let them to feel relaxed with their own delusions, right? Because as you, you've explained to me, they know on some level. There's oh, part yes. of them that knows they're delusional. Oh, definitely. There's part of them that knows that voice isn't real, yes. but they're caught up in it and yes. so you're connecting with the part of them that's not crazy and 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 it's it's like you have to bring that part that is afraid and delusion like to integrate on them it's like wait a minute you should be afraid except right. they're demons they wanted to it's like let's play with that don't right. be afraid so this is what i find so interesting about your approach to psychotherapy that you aren't trying to convince people that the voices aren't real. Oh no. They you're are trying real. you're trying to help them live with the voices. Integrate in a daily life, normal life, live. If they can't uh let the voice go away, some can have uh, because when you start to know them, that's the the to know a psychotic person probably is very difficult for many of us but right. when if they feel uh trusty worthy they feel comfortable with someone they relax and uh, and i think our duty is not to to shut down their voices it's impossible what are you going to shut down with the pills only yeah. it's not a way to live it's to accept and embrace that in a way they can't be afraid you are you afraid of dogs so let's go and confront and see if you see touch the dog it's not the, it's like uh, well i started to uh, to um, to use my uh, the cognitive um, behavior approach to that and then later i saw that it's not only that because they were not uh, obsessive compulsive per- people i i uh, i started to use but in a fusion with with the uh, an- analytic the brief analytic, not psychoanalysis, and and uh, integrated with their culture right. and with their re- religion. So, sort of a holistic approach in that way, but confronting their fears. I remember reading a paper recently that seemed to suggest that people in different cultures who are psychotic, mm. the voices, they all hear voices, 
I guess all, oral hallucinations yes. are the most common form of hallucination. Yes. We've all had it. We've we, all been yes. like falling asleep and you hear your mother's oh, yes. voice They're or normal, you hear someone falling call asleep you. Or when it happens to everyone. Yes. The difference is that for most of us, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I heard that voice again. And you forget about it. Hmm. And for them, the voice is always there and they can't forget yes. about it. So anyway, the yeah, the paper was that the content was different, different. That yeah. this whole like the voice is telling you to kill yourself or to kill someone else. That's very, very American. Oh, in the Western society. Western, Western, yeah. Western In India, they, they tell they people tell to people clean to, the house. Yeah. And in Africa, probably they tell people, oh, you have to treat this and that or it's like more in a shamanic way or in a different way. So, yes, they are So the different. culture sort of, it's like the voices are, are maybe are created by biology or, or who knows I what. I don't know, or the but, culture But what say they say is created, created by, by the culture. Yes. It's very related with the culture where they live. And that brings us to, back to shamanism, right? I, I often talk about Black Elk Speaks, and mm. I'm writing about mm-hmm. that in this book, right? Mm. How he was what we would consider psychotic, hmm. schizophrenic. He heard voices. He thought the animals talked to him. He thought he could control the weather. Hmm. You know, all late teens, hmm. about the same time that a lot of boys have a psychotic break hmm. and all this. Yes, yes. But his society viewed that as an incredible gift. Nah, and yeah. if they could help him over, if they could help him move through that transition and come out uh, integrated on the mm. other side in the yes. same way that you're trying to do with your patients. Not ignore the voices, no. but listen to what they say, learn yeah, from them. Understand. You know, Just because you hear a voice telling you to do something doesn't mean you have to do it. Exactly. But don't give it more power by resisting exactly. it, by fearing it, right? Exactly. So his society helps him go through that, and then he becomes a shaman. That's mm. the process of yes. becoming a shaman. Whereas in our society, we say you're sick, you're dangerous, yeah. Put you of course, in a padded not room. all of them are going to become a shaman. No. It's not the yeah, no. but uh, but uh, probably. But none of them are if we fucking drug them and throw oh, them yes. away. And right? most of them, they don't need any hospitalization or they don't have any uh, psychotic crisis if the culture embraces their psychosis. Right. Like in Africa, right. I could see like uh, uh, people uh, the psychotics in Africa. They were embraced by their own family. They would take to curanderos to all this to tie try to, to treat, but it's more integrated. They listen to their voice. Okay, he, s- he says that uh, we need to mm. to give uh, or make an offer to our great-great-father because uh, to that to appease. They do. They do everything that the voices do. And that is, I think it's a good treatment. Accept right. and follow and help the, the person to be, to be in this life. Right. Okay, now, while we're talking about moving between worlds and all that and your patience, uh, I'm sure people would be interested to hear a little bit about the past life regression therapy that you were doing uh, yes. in Portugal. Yes, because uh, uh, when I finish, uh, well, when I finish psychiatrist, I decide, or well, at the end, more or less, at the, when I was finished psychiatrist, I didn't know what to do. There's a lot of competition, a lot of people outside working, and I decided to do the occupational medicine. One of the right. thing. So Cassie has two medical specialties, psychiatry and occupational medicine. Yeah. Right. For a reason to, I thought, well, with this, I can go and work in spas because spas would, was uh, mm. started to to come out and be big, a big thing. So for my retirement, not for, uh, but I ended up to actually work as well. But another thing was 
to um, to do uh, something different uh, because of that is like uh, wait a minute only medication it's it's uh, I found myself very limited right and then I yes I decided uh, I was invited with the Mario Simon is a professor to work with him, and he was a hypnotherapist. Mm. So I started to work with him, and uh, he was a psychiatrist. A as psychiatrist, well. yeah. and uh, his residency was in German, by the way. Ah, uh, right. That's where he met his wife. Yes, yeah. yes, and uh, he's, he knows a lot of conscious mind, brain, and uh, right. so when he started with the hypnosis and so on, and he had a group of. Uh, uh, pa- uh, regressive, regressive, regressive therapy. therapy. Right. So I decided to take the course and use it, not, not uh, uh, to include regressive therapy or or incarnations in another life in uh, in uh, psychiatry. I no, but the tool per se, because if I I can use the regressive therapy without using names or without a a person thinking, oh, I'm re- going in, re- in a, another world. So when I, if they come out and say, oh, I see myself in 1900s or this or that, I let the person see. But uh, I decided to, to, I thought it was a very good tool to relax a person, uh, uh, put a, a person in an office stage. You know what? Alpha stage, alpha, alpha, alpha state, stage, right. and let their fears go away. For example, I had uh, uh, women were like raped, and uh, very traumatic issues. Right? Talk. Uh, uh, I could see that uh, they would relax if they would, uh, after very long time being with me, said it, and. Uh, uh, and they were like in a half stage, in a stage that they were not there, and they would say things that was important for me. Like a dissociative a state. Dissociative state, thank right. you. And it was very important for me. So uh, having a regressive therapy as a tool, I thought, wow, that, that I can put them in, in, in that state and work as the beginning, and, and they, it's a win-win situation. So you mean you were using the the hypnosis mm-hmm. as a way to put them into a more, a more relaxed, relaxed state and all yes. that? But you weren't necessarily doing the whole past life regression thing. I would I would use the the same uh, go through the right the same the technique. same technique, right. not using uh, or any beliefs or passive. If they wanted to to believe that or they right. was. I let it because it's a free choice, right? It's not, a, but I use that as a tool to relax them and to for them to come out with their traumas and right. make the decision and redecision, blah blah. Right. So all that process, and uh, I liked it, and I think it's, it can if we can work with that, it's yeah. very effective. In yeah. fact, well, I don't, I'm not going to talk about another. Well, I told you now. Yeah, it's something you're thinking of doing again in the future. Yeah, and yeah. that uh, the cases that was like that uh, director, the, or the director of uh, Banco de Portugal was uh, um, with the panic attacks and it was uh, uh, yeah. with uh, Paxil, no? right. with all the SSRIs and resistant, couldn't. Uh, so my professor gave me that patient. Yeah. For that, it's like, well, I don't know what to do because. Uh, 
is uh, is not getting better so see so he definitely came clean no pills and no panic attacks and uh, yeah i've i've heard you you know come home from work it it still amazes me i mean when i was at home working on sex at dawn and you would come home and you know and ask me about what i'd written and you'd read that day's work and uh, and give me comments and you know you're coming home after an eight or nine hour day and you're tired and you're, you're like thinking in Spanish or Catalan or Portuguese and now you're reading this thing in English and and then we you know hang out and talk and um, you know some people don't understand why it was so important that you be listed as a co-author of the book and that mm. you know part of well, it is I I read all of it I <laughs> criticize I well. <laughs> And the parts that would be good, or I, we would discuss. No, I yeah, no, the book that book would be very different. Well, first of all, the book wouldn't exist if you weren't going off to work and paying the rent while I was at home yeah. writing. But it wasn't a big effort. You know that I love reading. I love brain. I love everything intellectual. I know, but brain is my but sexual she, part. Do you but know you've that? Been working all day long. Whatever, I love that. Yeah. Um. But, you know, what I was going to say is that it still sort of blows my mind because I would get used to it. And then every once in a while you would, you know, be I'd see in your eyes that you were thinking about work or something. And, and we talk about some case hmm. and, you know, because I forgot like the crazy shit you were dealing with at work. Yes. And yes. you had people who killed their children. Yes. You had people who I killed had their people parents. Yeah, from prison, literally come to there for treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had grandparent, grand grandmother killed, and so on. Yes. You yes. know, sexual abuse, abuse, and and you you worked with refugees for a while. Borderline personalities. I remember you working with um, Pakistani and Moroccan. Oh. Yes, uh, immigrants, illegal because, immigrants. Yeah, since I was multicultural, actually, right. they the first thing that put it, they put in um, in Spain was for immigration, and I learned a lot because I could yeah. have uh, all over patients patients from all over the world, but the patients that I couldn't understand or uh, I or I could understand the least were the the. Asian, Chinese, uh, or Japanese, or Chinese, especially yeah. Chinese people. I couldn't, or Japanese, they, I couldn't, because yeah. they didn't have, well, the, I couldn't read emotion in their face. And literally, right. one of one my, my patients, I one day I told her, it's like, I'm sorry, but I don't know <laughs> if you are better or worse. I right. can't see it. I can't see, yeah. And she was so so kind to me to explain and we became very close but i i had to 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 be open sure yeah. yeah well i think you know that's one of your great qualities as a doctor that you never hide behind the doctor you never no no you no, never no, no. act like something no. you're not or i'm the authority yeah i have i'm the authority and that's uh, i know that i'm the authority but while i'm on psychotherapy with him i'm in the same level in fact i think i learn a lot of my spanish and right. catalan for the patients because right. one thing that i would say to them is like look I don't know how to talk very well. If I make mistakes, please correct me because I like that. And we would go sometimes with really ugly 
situations and like uh, I remember remember that uh, patient there was in patient uh, uh, with no mom no nobody and he, he was there and like uh, for months living with us so sometimes he was doing something bad and I was the one to go and uh, and uh, and uh, mm, um, correct scolding scolding or for yeah. what he was doing. Right. And I remember one day scolding him so bad, but I used the wrong words, and suddenly it was like, oh, that's not the way you say. You say in this, this, this. It's like, <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I saw the all the nurses and everybody cracking, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I I learned that. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot with them, but they were close to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, it it just blows my mind to to think about how. Uh, uh, sorry, the phone was just ringing there. Um, like how you were dealing with such heavy stuff, hmm. you know, and then and you'd come home and not even mention it, and you know, I just mm-hmm. imagine if if I dealt with something like that one day, I'd be talking about it for years. Um, okay, now we're in America, hmm. where we've lived in Canada, we've yeah. been in Nicaragua, and. So part of the reason for that is, of course, Sex at Dawn started doing well. You were um, tired. You'd been working your ass off for a long time. Mm -hmm. Your health wasn't great. And I couldn't convince you to take a break. And the only way I could convince you to take a break and, you know, take a, uh, what's it called? A sabbatical sabbatical. from your job. Let's go travel. (laughs) I said we could live anywhere, (laughs) anywhere. And you said Vancouver. Vancouver. I'm like, okay, Vancouver. You'd never been there. I'd been there for like two days. No, but I, something I loved and I really loved to be there. But something was calling me to to Vancouver. Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in Vancouver for a couple of summers and we're hanging in Portland. Portland, we're moving around a lot. Portland is great, Portland's by the way. Great. I love Portland. Yeah, very nice. So uh, I, I wanted, you know, it's weird interviewing you because <laughs> I know the answer to most of the questions <laughs> yes. I'm asking you. But um, what what comes next? What's where do you see? Because you're you're not going back to to normal medicine. No, I in fact I well I never practice really normal medicine. Right. But definitely, I don't want to be a conventional medical psychiatrist. Right. Huh? No, I, I would like to work, but uh, with a work more adaptable to our our lives. Right. For example, I would like to 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 consult people through internet. Right. I'm not very good at internet, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I see that people do, uh, or like on Skype, having or work something. Do you think, can, can you, talking, because I know you talk with your daughter like no, yes. three or four times mm. a week through mm. Skype, so you, uh, you yes, do that a lot. Do, yes. Do you think, is there enough contact through a video connection like that that you can oh, connect can, with oh, people? Yes, I can connect uh, Yes. Yeah, because I, I know doctors are doing this. There's yes, you know, tele-consultation. It's a big thing. Yeah, now. you can read emotions. We can especially for, well, that's right. why I talk with my daughter. No, it's, uh, right. no you can be near someone through, in, through Skype. Right. Yes. And that I would love. Right. Not as, uh, I would not prescribing uh, medication for sure, but... I would love to work with people, help people. No, well, no doubt. and you and I have talked about some sort of a holistic 
yes. health consulting yes. kind of thing. Oh, if it's personal, I would love to uh, to 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 do it, this work more in a comprehensive way, right. like go and see the lifestyle of the because uh, the disease disorders they depend on who you are, what you eat, what do your lifestyles, life events, everything, the, your 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 environment, right. And you want you 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 need, you want to change if you you if you seek you have to change in and out, inside For, and in, outside, inside yeah. and outside. Yeah. But that depends on uh, uh, so many factors. Right. So and doctors don't have time, especially yeah. in America. You, yeah. Ten minutes. Tell me yeah. your problem. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. No doctor's going to go to your house yeah. and notice that your bed is fucked up and if that's why your back to, hurts. So probably they don't want this no, to go of there. They but, don't <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. like, where would someone go for that sort of kind a of coach? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See what a, I mean? Sort a, of a, a coach. coach who happens to have twenty years' yeah. experience as a medical doctor and well, training in Africa whatever. and Europe, and you know. Well, but I'm not doing anything now. I can be a coach, <laughs> <laughs> happily a coach. <laughs> okay, coach. Uh, the other thing, I mean, I'm trying to get you to do is to to write some sort of memoir yeah. about your time in Africa, your childhood, your. The, some of the things we've been talking about now, some of the cases that yeah. you remember, some because I think it could be such an interesting book. The personal path that we've talked about that you know people have heard today, that this multicultural life that you've led. Yeah, I, I kind of resent to write an autobiographical book. Because resist. I resist, not resist, resent. no, resist. no, not resent, resist. Yeah. Sorry, Whoops. I know because you're you're uh, not I'm, egotistical, and but uh, I'm, I'm, I still want to leave. And where am I? Well, it, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's over. I mean, yeah. think of our friend Stanley. Oh, he, he wrote no. an autobiography Stanley, when he Stanley was forty. Stanley, and this is a beautiful. Well, I'm well, not you can Stanley. Write, no, but you can write yes. the first half. Okay, you know, and but, uh, yes, not. Uh, and I oh, think, I honestly, I think this is an interesting sort of a natural break, a natural, yeah, you know, like you're done. Now it's you're true. done with traditional medicine. Oh, yes. Your yes. daughter's grown up and yes, married, yes. who's probably going to listen to this at yes, some point. Say uh, hi to Joanna. Beautiful, but yes, hi, Joanna. And Ugo. I saw, I, Ugo, I, saw you, I saw you both, the picture on Instagram. Beautiful. You are, you are beautiful. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> right. Sorry, sorry to the other forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety eight oh. people who are listening. Well, but who aren't my daughter Joanna. is really beautiful. They're, yes, They're inside and outside, a, a lovely, wonderful yeah, person. It's true. <laughs> and she married a lovely dude it's too. It's true. So we're very happy about very that. Very happy about that. Um, but anyway, it's sort of a natural uh, pivot point in yeah. your life, right? Yeah. A certain part is finished and yeah. it's so it's a i think it's a good time to look back and tell that story and then you know the new stories will be a, a different volume yeah because otherwise you're going to move into the next phase oh no i want and to, you're going to be too busy yes no i want i think i should do it now and i will right. i i'm i think i'm more and more motivated to do it before i start any big project or start to work right Yes, I, I, and, and but part of the problem, and part of, and part of this, I wanted to do because I, while I'm, I already got information, but while while I'm thinking of that, it's like, it's an analysis to me. It's like look through what I did and think about that. 
Yeah. And think about my mistakes and uh, think about my limitations too. Mistakes and limitations are things that are very important to me to see through that. I've, uh, that's what I want to do because I don't want to pass to an, uh, a second life doing the same mistakes of or, the, or having the same limitations because of my persona. Right. If right. the limitations are because of the others, I, it's another story and I have to deal with. But I, I need that. Definitely I wanted to do that. And if I hope if it's too personal, we can edit this out. But it's also, I think, interesting that you're going through menopause. Oh, definitely. And biologically, again. I don't know when but it was that, but definitely. <laughs> but you see, that, that's another part of, of um, I, I confuse people, and probably because I'm confused too. Because I do not feel my age I never, uh, I mean, I never. You, you know my, you knew my, my friends and my environment. The people were the same age as I was in my, my work and everything. They would treat me as I was a child, and I was treat them as like they were another generation. Oh, I know what you mean. And I would yeah. hanging out, and I still hang out with people. 20 years or 30 years younger than me, and I feel completely mm, comfortable. Yeah. yeah. They were my parents, the patient people with my, and they would treat me, hey, kid, oh, come on, let's do that and protect me. And especially during the period that uh, I wasn't with you and, uh, and uh, uh, separated or divorced from Manel, I was very lucky to have people from my age protect me, but they're protecting a sort of a parent style. Yeah. No, I've, I know what you mean. I, I often think how strange it is that I have friends who are significantly younger than me, 10, yeah. 15 years younger than me, but and I don't know how they feel toward me, but yeah. I feel toward them that they're older than me because they have kids, they have jobs, yes. they have mortgages, yes. they have... All that stuff that comes with adulthood yeah. that I don't have. Yeah. Now That's they might look you. at me and see, you know, old man. I don't know what they see when they look at me, or no. maybe they look at me and see someone young because I'm always traveling yeah. and you and I Definitely. go off and have yes. our adventures and no responsibility. Yes. So I don't know what they see. But what I see, and I don't mean this to insult anyone at all, but I see them older than me because they're surrounded by the accoutrements of adulthood. Yes, yes. And I'm not. Definitely. You know, so I don't know what that means. But I, I know <laughs> what you're saying. The, the whole age thing is, yeah. is interesting. So anyway, um, you know, you mentioned you're not great on the internet. Cassie's sort of uh, technophobic. <laughs> she has no Facebook account, no, no, no. Twitter account. No. <laughs> she doesn't want any of those things. No, I don't. I think a lot of people probably think I'm some sort of domineering, overbearing let asshole them, man. Let them no, no, think just, about let, just let me say this because people send emails hmm. and I answer them. Yeah, they sure. say, you know, they send emails. But, but do you answer? Yeah, I know, <laughs> but they all—they always come from me, so they no, think no, I've no, got no. you tied up in the basement. Well, they or don't something. know that I'm the last word here. <laughs> if they know me, they know me. They don't know you. They don't know you. If they no. knew you, I wouldn't say that. No. Anyway, so Cassie is fine. I'm her secretary, not Definitely. her boss. No. And, um, but what I was going to say is, as far as the book goes, if there's someone listening to this. Hmm. Maybe some graduate student somewhere or someone who's got some time on their hands and they are interested in this and want to be involved. 
um, if we found the right person hmm. who is a good typist and maybe a good writer in English hmm. that you could work with telling your story oh, and they could thing. type it because you you don't like typing in English very yeah. much. I, I can do that, but definitely that is a very, is a very good help. I would appreciate that. Right. And especially if that person has more abilities uh, uh, on the Internet with technology. Well, that, yeah, but like, we're we're just talking about the book. You could do the Skype talk with the person, tell the stories, explain yeah, things, and they could write it, so yeah. it would be you know transcribed. Yeah. Could be, yes, yeah, yes. All right. So if yes. there's someone out there, and this sounds like something you want to do, you want to be involved, uh, mm-hmm. drop drop me <laughs> me a line, yeah. I guess, uh, yes. at chrisryanphd.com. <laughs> and or, let yeah. me organize my stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. very, to be honest, I, I accept that. Uh, I want someone to to collaborate with me, right. but I'm very individualist. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, well, you'd be, the, you'd be the boss. Yes. But what it would do is get someone else uh, co-author credit. Oh, definitely. Uh, and that could and be I, a very valuable thing for someone that. who's yeah. looking to get into publishing or writing or whatever. So, uh, Anyway, strange. This feels very strange <laughs> to say thanks for doing this. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree because it was uh, the special... Uh, special edition, yeah. Then otherwise, you know that uh, I always run away from talking in public or anything. Yeah. But yes, I. But it really doesn't enjoyed. feel like talking in no, public, does no. it? No, uh, no. Doing this now, I. But I was nervous at the beginning. I have to say, and, but uh, it was great. You I did a great mm-hmm. job. Thank you. Uh, so you do it again for number two hundred? <laughs> Will you come back? <laughs> yes. Why not? <laughs> I hope with more news. (laughs) Well, it'll be a while. All right. Thank you, baby. Thank you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation say <laughs> when everyone we've 
it's a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground